Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Uh, Kevin, here's a newsflash for you. You ready? Let's hear it. Indiana defensively is pretty darn good. I mean, Indiana's good, but defensively, they are really darn good. They are. Um, when you shoot 23% from three, 60% from the foul line, maybe 65, and yet you win by 12. Uh, defensively, Mike Woodson has brought a culture there that has been really a mainstay in that environment. I mean, I know North Carolina got a pretty favorable road whistle for a lot of that, but they just were never comfortable. Uh, early on, every shot was challenged. North Carolina's throwing in prayers just to keep it somewhat close early on. And I never I never felt like Indiana was truly threatened. Like it, it was a twelve point win that felt like twenty. I'm sorry. What was the how many did they win by? They won by twelve. Indiana's hosting North Carolina at nine fifteen. I, I still take the Hoosiers comfortably with that four. Indiana and a half by point twelve. Spread. Huh. I might look at an alternate line there. Did you do the alternate that one? Sprinkled a little on the double digit. That, that was the end of the show yesterday. Thank you very much. Um, do you have the audio of Jake picking the Colts on Monday night, Mark? Do we no. want to bring, bring that back want, up? He didn't want that brought to light. Okay. Uh, what did I say? 20 to 12, I think I thought the Colts were going to win. I was off by four. I said Steelers 24, Colts 17. I was going to say, I was thinking that. You were almost spot on with that. Hey. Uh, Butler last night, 76 76- 64 winners over Kansas State. All the that colleges won, right? Yeah, it was a good night last night. I'll tell you what, because Butler, Kansas State coming in, I mean, I looked at it because they came in undefeated at 6-0, and and really they had some decent wins in there. It's not like they were playing nothing but, you know, Division three schools to, to, to get to 6-0. and Butler needed that one. They did, and they played well because they jumped out to a double-digit lead and then just kind of went from there. Manny Bates with 22-10. and Chuck Harris with 15. Purdue, I can't believe, and kudos to Purdue just because of the what had to have been a little bit of, you would think, fatigue just from the travel alone. Zach Eady, as expected probably at this point, was pretty dominant with 25. Braden Smith, when, when you get 24 points for Purdue out of a freshman backcourt, you're going to win a lot of games. Well, Braden Smith floated with a triple-double, Jake. Yeah, I mean, he is a heck of a player. 13-9-7. It was a really competitive game for 30-some minutes, and Braden Smith, just some unbelievable hustle plays and assists there right around like the eight-minute mark. Uh, Zach Eady, like you said, what he's doing stamina-wise and what he's doing consistently, I've been thoroughly impressed by um, what he has given Purdue this season. It's consistently 20 points, and I feel like when teams try to double, it's a patient reaction from him. Um, so Purdue gets a road win. You had Indiana State getting a W last night. You had Notre Dame. I was shocked by that a- absolute beatdown of Michigan State. Uh, Notre Dame shot the hell out of the ball, and uh, that game was not close at all. Good Thursday morning to you, Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Mark Dykton. Jeff Brom is going to join us at eight o'clock. I guess the collegiate slate was great. Uh, apologies though for people that stayed up for that Pacer game. <laughs> well. Sacramento, they were booing Buddy Heald. Now, why would they boo Buddy Heald? Jake, I, again. He demanded a trade. This is me watching on television last night. That sounded like an unbelievable atmosphere for a Wednesday night NBA game. In Sacramento. Kings fans had like venom 
and them towards Buddy Heald. And I just felt like in general, I mean, you look at the three Pacer starters that had a little bit more on the line last night and how they played. They they combined. So that would be Halliburton obviously going back to Sacramento. Buddy Heald, of course, going back to Sacramento. And then Miles Turner and facing DeMontis Sabonis. So those three, Heald, Halliburton, Turner, they combined to go 12 of 35. Do you believe in the plus-minus stat? No. Miles Turner's plus-minus last night matched his jersey number. Minus 33. Halliburton, minus 24. I mean, the Pacers were awful. Absolutely awful last night. I mean, like, the plus-minus stat, though. Like, Halliburton, oh, he was minus 24. Does that mean that you're going to bench Halliburton? That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't... Well, last night, you pretty much benched him in the fourth quarter. I mean, I, I get... I get what it tells you, but I'm just saying, like, do you do you ride minutes off that? I personally don't necessarily believe in that. Yeah, this is now three games out west, and the Pacers, outside of obviously that thrilling final ten minutes in against the Lakers, they've been really outplayed um, for large, large stretches of these first three games. So the Kings absolutely dominate the Pacers last night. Uh, final score there, one thirty-seven, one fourteen. You had Halliburton get a technical. It just seemed like. This game meant a little bit more to Sacramento. Coming off the three-game losing streak, I'm sure Indiana had a bit of a hangover, maybe literally, um, from celebrating that buzzer beater from Nemhart on Monday night. And again, I thought the atmosphere was awesome. And I I forgot how much I enjoyed watching DeMontis Sabonis play basketball. Yeah, he's, I mean... So skilled. He's like a turnstile. Like the ball goes into him on the low block and his ability, this is going to sound weird and and really elementary, Kevin, but you played youth basketball for Cristinari, right? Yes, yes. And I'm going to assume that you were one of the taller kids that you played with. Is that correct? Like were you a center probably? I, I think oftentimes, and this is so elementary that it sounds ridiculous, but I think oftentimes in particular for younger players, but for big men... When you are working with your back to the basket and you're having to spin to get yourself free, one of the biggest challenges is to always be aware of where exactly the rim is. I know that sounds crazy, but Domas Sabonis literally can like spin his defender dizzy while never losing track of where he is in relation to where the ball needs to go that's probably simplifying to the point of people going, what are you talking about? But he just, when he gets the ball, he is so, Sabonis I'm talking about, yes, it is true that he, he isn't necessarily, he, he, he does favor to go to one hand, but he just, he is so skilled in terms of his footwork to be able to always eventually wear down a defender dizzy to the point where he then gets a high percentage basket. You know, <clears throat> that's part of it, Jake. I point to more of his skill as like a passer. Well, that as a sure. facilitator, as a screener, um, you know, the hockey assist. I mean, he would have had a triple double had he played the fourth quarter last night. So uh, the Pacers get absolutely smoked out in Sacramento. Uh, but again, Indiana last night, I was just thoroughly impressed by their defense. And you know, to be perfectly honest with you, Jake, I'm probably more impressed by what they did at Xavier a few weeks ago than what they did last night. I mean, you and I were on the same page. We both felt like Indiana would cruise, and this would not be, you know, 
pressure minutes late in the game. I think some of that has to do certainly with North Carolina and them not being what people thought they would be preseason-wise. They were banged up, coming off the Portland trip, all those things. Last night was really impressive from the standpoint of you didn't even shoot it anywhere close to decent from the perimeter and the foul line. Yet you still won by double figures thanks to your defense and you dominated the points in the paint. I go back to what they did at Xavier a few weeks ago and think, right now, Xavier, North Carolina, it's probably not that far off from quality of opponent. But what you do away from Assembly Hall stands out to me more. Because I think Assembly Hall, and again, I know that the whistle favored North Carolina for stretches last night. I still think Assembly Hall is such a cheat code. I just think teams wilt in that building, especially in an environment like you saw last night. I remember when I was in college, granted a long time ago, but the building is the same. Uh, a buddy of mine that played Big Ten basketball and and him saying to me, yeah, you know, I didn't think Assembly Hall was that big a deal until I went in there to play. And he was like, and first off, during the shoot-around, the way the building is constructed is so straight up, he's like, that it felt like I was in a canyon, like I like it changed my depth perception. And then he said, but when it got loud, it literally felt like the sound was like a tidal wave coming down on me. And he's like, we couldn't hear anything. We just were so unused to that kind of noise completely surrounding us when we were playing. And I think certainly at times last night, you know, I I, I had people that were down there that were that sent me a text like this this environment is crazy. Yeah. Same. Same. You had a who's who of people in the building last night. Did you see Eric Church? I did see that. For North Carolina? I, I, I will maintain this and then do not play the siren, Mark. We People were pulling over yesterday. Um, but I will be the fun police. I still don't understand why. I'll just make this prediction. If Indiana continues to to allow or necessitate for its students to camp out for an entire day before a game in order to get the best seats in the wintertime when it's really cold outside, eventually something bad is going to happen and that tradition is going to end. I'm not saying it's a tradition, but that practice is going to end. You are Mark very worried about this. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm worried about. It. I just think it's ridiculous in today's like internet era. I mean, whatever. Do an online lottery of order of which you get in, whatever. But I mean, having it's 25 degrees outside. I realize college students are young adults. I get it, but they're young adults oftentimes that need a little bit of like <laughs> a supervision of the their action. I just think having when you when you can't when you tell them they can't be in a tent. So you're just having them lay out in sleeping bags in 25-degree weather? I think it's a little absurd. That's all. You look at the two major games so far for Indiana at Xavier, and then last night, and the third score they've gotten in both those games. Trace Jackson Davis, Xavier Johnson, those are obvious. And they shouldn't be taken for for granted. Trace again last night, absolutely outstanding. Um, But it was Malik Renew on the road at Xavier. And then last night, Jake, it was right out of the gate, a guy that has struggled with his jump shot this season, Jalen Hood-Shafino, scores the first three baskets of the game. he was really good. And again, for him to clearly not lack confidence from, I would say, some struggles early on in his college career, and he's no dummy. I don't think anyone on either of those teams um, could ignore the fact that you had NBA scouts there from every team in the league, and Hood-Shafino right out of the gate, a bit of a coming out party for him. Um, You know, I felt like when you started to look into those two committing to Indiana, something that stood out to me about them is like, 
I mean, they are good athletes, but they're not these like insane, high flying, can't teach athleticism sort of guys. They are five star freshmen in that they're really, really skilled. And Hood Shafino is certainly that. Uh, the moment was not too big for him at all last night. And again, I just think these are important steps to, for Indiana finding complementary pieces around the big two because Xavier Johnson, Trace Jackson Davis are, are pretty obvious. And last night you got something from Trey, Trey Galloway off the bench, which was huge. Uh, but if you can get consistency from Hood Shafino, that just further confirms this is a legit, legit second weekend NCAA tournament Do you team. remember Christian Lander? Well, what should I remember? The off-the-shot clock threes he would attempt? Um, you could remember the fact that Christian Lander was a five-star top 20 recruit point guard that everybody did backflips over and posted a thousand messages on Peegs when he committed to Indiana because he was going to be the savior of the program, the latest chapter of that. I probably should have never early enrolled. Um, yeah, I would say that's true. Um, Hood Shafino is Christian Lander, but with a little more size equal speed and athleticism and actual basketball skill that was the one thing that was always missing from christian lander everybody's like he's the greatest thing ever you he is so fast with the basketball what does he do once he gets it he's just really fast okay that's great can he shoot no can he pass not really is he a good defender subpar but he's fast okay and hood shafito i think probably because of christian lander there are those maybe myself and the only one who are always hesitant or hit the pause button on immediately saying that a guy's the next you know thing, but Hood Shafino, I think last night, to your point, Kevin, kind of showed that yes, in fact, he is a guy who is pretty darn skilled, and and his, clearly his confidence hasn't been shaken at all from some struggles early correct. on. He he definitely did not look like a guy that you know. We could talk about that environment being intimidating to North Carolina. That environment could be intimidating sure. to, a, to a freshman, right? Sure. Like, hey, I've never played in this kind of a scene before. And he certainly, he soaked it up, right? I mean, he was, he was. by the way, Christian Lander averaging, you want to guess what he's averaging for Western Kentucky? Uh, he's averaging uh, 4.8 points per game. Mark, guess? 2.7. Kevin, you and I ought to go into business together, working one of these for making prognostications about basketball. 4.4 points per wow. game for Christian Lander. And .9 assists. How about that? He's just waiting for conference play to get going. You know, just kind of getting <laughs> settled there in Bowling Green. That's right. Visiting the Corvette Museum, right? <clears throat> Corvette Museum's pretty nice, actually. I went to the Corvette Museum not too long ago. It was nice. Prior to Jack Doyle, Bowling Green. That's right. That's a, You know what? Bowling Green, excuse me, Bowling Green University and, or excuse me, Western Kentucky University and Bowling Green, Kentucky. Have you ever been there? Like I on the campus? cannot say I have. Mark, have you been there? I've been to Bowl, well, I've been to Bowling Green, not the campuses though. Uh, it was super cool. Like, Byron and I, on our road trip back, I don't know, a month ago, we're like, let's just, we were driving through Bowling Green, let's just check out Western Kentucky. And I couldn't believe it. Their football stadium's really nice. It's new, or at least it looks new. Tops, baby. Hilltoppers. The... the the campus was really cool, like a really cool little college town. And then there's the Corvette Museum where you can go and see where the sinkhole was, which is cool. Uh, uh, did you do anything fun last night other than watching games? No, like, yeah, I've kind of told you we're battling a little sickness in the Bowen household, so um, just kind of juggling that with Rosie and Max right now. Um, no, it was a lot of, it was just a lot of basketball. 
flipping back and forth. I mean, you were right. I was, you know, I did pay a lot of attention to Notre Dame and Michigan State, Notre Dame. Um, that was a nice win. That win clinched the ACC Big Ten Challenge for the ACC. Really? Eight wins for the ACC. I, I guess I didn't realize that. Because it was such a good night for the state in terms of teams. Right. So do I have this right? Indiana State, Butler, Notre Dame, Purdue, Indiana. Am I missing anybody from last night? Well, Southern Indiana and Evansville both lost. But yeah. I mean, well, there goes... There go, uh, well, we can't celebrate... <laughs> We can't. It was not the state of Indiana. In, in, that's right. The Sycamore, parade is canceled. The Sycamores are seven and one. Hey, that's a nice win for them. Drake was six and zero coming in, and it was at Drake, right? Yeah, and Indiana. I think it was at Indiana State, wasn't it? Was it? I think it was in Terre Haute. I saw they were wearing the jerseys, kind of like the hat that I'm wearing. Baby blue. The baby blue ones. I'm a I'm a fan of that. Yeah, they I need would to agree. stick with the baby. The, the I hate to say the Carolina blue based on last night, uh, but yeah, Indiana State seventy five seventy three. Uh, they've won three in a row, seven and one. If you consider where they were a year ago, uh, so far what appears to be a nice turnaround. And again, Butler, a good win last night. As Jake said, that was undefeated Kansas State. Manny Bates is a really fun big man to watch. I think he's a pretty unique big man for what Butler has had in past years. I remember him when he was at NC State from the ACC matchups against Notre Dame. Um He's critical for anything Butler's going to do this season. Butler's starters had 73 of the 76 last night, all five of them in double figures. It's a pretty good Thursday night matchup tonight. Bills and Patriots. You find it weird? Like the Bills are only four point favorites? I saw it shrink to three and a half, Mark. Yeah, that seems. I jumped all over that. That seems a bit low. The Patriots' offense is going to keep up with the Bills? I think Buffalo, the thing that makes Buffalo, that probably lowers numbers for them a little bit, is they do, like, they kind of seem at times feast or famine in terms of their offensive production. Kevin, is that, am I being too critical there, or does that make sense what I'm saying? It seems a hair critical, but I'm willing to hear you out. In other words, the Bills are a team... I mean, they're obviously really good. But Josh Allen's been a little bit dinged up. Stephon Diggs is an elite-level player, as is Josh Allen, obviously. But I think there were a lot of people, maybe myself included, that thought that Buffalo, that there was no reason that Buffalo at this point in the year wouldn't have like maybe a loss and would be winning most games Peyton Manning Colts era style of people resting in the fourth quarter more often than not. Okay. And they're having to, they're having to, I mean, don't get me wrong. They have the ability and the, the play where they are making plays down the stretch to win games. Don't get me wrong, but they're not necessarily winning going away. You know, I find it interesting. What would your guys reaction be right now? If I told you the Super Bowl is Buffalo Dallas. Uh, I would immediately think of that I was in college. Again. <laughs> yeah, I don't have the patience. To I feel like that was Chris Berman's that. pick every year for the Super Bowl. No one circles the wagons like the Bills. You wouldn't be too shocked, right? No. no. Buffalo the Dallas? N- the NFC is a crapshoot at this point. Now, if the playoffs started today, both Buffalo and Dallas would be on the road yeah. in the wild card round. Isn't that crazy? Miami hey. is leading the AFC East, and obviously Philadelphia is leading the NFCs. You would have Dallas at Tampa. You'd have Buffalo at, I think it's Baltimore. So when you look at these two teams, the Bills tonight, of course, the Colts are going to see the Cowboys on Sunday night. These are big ones, and 
the new playoff format creating just one bye with seven teams in each conference. Um, obviously, winning the division gets you a home game. But I, I know Tampa did a few years ago. I just think it's really, really important to try to avoid. I mean, if I'm Dallas, I don't want to go to Tampa to start the playoffs. If I'm Buffalo, I don't want to go at Baltimore to start the playoffs. So I think that's what kind of adds to the plate of it tonight. And New England obviously needs it to keep pacing the wild card How about race. the fact that all four NFC East teams would be in the NFL, NFC playoff picture? Right How about now? the fact the AFC East? I, I mean, for it's years, three or four, I think, right now. Correct, in the AFC, like yeah. for years, the AFC East has been like, well, New England, but yeah, but who else do they have? Obviously, Buffalo, you know, was the team coming in that everybody circled. But I mean, the Dolphins and the Jets both. And Mark, to your point, we've yeah. never had that, right? I don't think so. The NFL has never sent or had a division. division. Yeah. Now again, we expanded the playoffs a few years ago to seven in each conference, and still a long ways to go. Obviously, some of those divisional teams are going to play each other the you rest know, of the season. Did you ever see American Pie? Sure. Tampa this year is kind of like Sherman, right? Like, just manages to keep hanging around every party. It's and probably it's like, the first, what are you doing here? Probably the first time Tom Brady's ever been compared to Sherman. <laughs> That's right. Tom Brady, when he gets nervous, does wet his pants. No, like, Tampa Bay is the one team, and I realize part of it is their division, but it's like, oh, wait a minute. I think a lot of it is their division. Yeah, a lot Frank, of it. You're right. You know? but, I mean, but it's like, wait a minute, like Tampa Bay still hanging around? And again, Jake, they're going to host a, I know. a good NFC East team in all likelihood it doesn't, I mean, in that 4-5 matchup. Doesn't Tom Brady feel like Bowser the Dragon and Super Mario Brothers where you're like, wait a minute, I thought we killed this guy like mm-hmm. three rounds ago. Yeah. Here he is bouncing around. Especially in this market. It's wild You're that right. like, half the league has got four wins or less right now, too. Hey, how about Tennessee at Philly? That's a big one. This this weekend has a lot of those types of matchups. Miami Jake. at San Francisco. That is a, good game. a juicy one. Um, I think you have like I think it's six matchups with teams with winning records facing off. Obviously, tonight being one of those. Um, yesterday over at Colts, I said pra- I, I guess they didn't practice coming off the Monday night game. Just a walkthrough for them. Uh, Kenny Moore. Scooter action for him. Uh, again, he injured his shin. It was first announced on Monday night. Um, an ankle on the injury report. We'll have Zach Kieford on a little bit later in the show. And uh, sounds like Kenny's going to miss some time. I was joking with him yesterday. I'm like, man, you look like Pato Award on that scooter. Nice. He's buddies with Pato Award. Right? He's like, oh, I talked to him the other day. <laughs> yesterday was kind of a sad reality, though, inside that locker room. Which is that it's over? Yeah. You, you could tell? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, guys, when they start to field and answer questions about we're going to learn about players' motivation here in the final five games, that's an admittance to 4-7-1, and one, and you need a miracle beyond miracles to make the playoffs, which is so, again, so foreign on November 30th to hear a Colts locker room talking like that. This might be, Kevin... This may be the most balanced week of games in the National Football League with the Colts being one of the greater chasms between opponents of the league. Like, if you were picking games like in a confidence pool, 16 on this game, 15 on that game, 14 on that game, or, you know, 15, 14, whatever, the Colts would be the one that is the most, like, where you would most heavily lean towards one team, which would be Dallas. The rest of the games, I, I mean, even the bad games, Jacksonville and Detroit. Uh, okay, I, I mean, yeah, I have, um, 
And then one of those re-survivor pools. Cleveland-Houston, uh, okay. Yeah, that's one of my survivor picks. I've got to pick two this week, and I've I've picked 14 teams so far. You can only pick them once, of course. I've got Cleveland over Houston, and the other one I'm going with is Minnesota over the Jets. I, I was going to say, and the Jets are not terrible, but no. you know, they're still I'm a little nervous about both. I mean, how Watson's going to play in Houston. Obviously, it's a fascinating Boy, I forgot that storyline. The number of solid matchups makes makes it even more like obviously the Cowboys are the ratings draw because there's no way that that game should technically be on Sunday night given the other matchups that are available. I mean, my favorite matchup of the weekend is Dolphins 49ers. That's a great game. I mean, that's a very will be fun. Yeah. Is it Eagles Titans? Yeah. There's some good ones. How about the Seahawks and Rams? I mean, like they're not. I mean, one team that's that's better than you thought they were going to be. One team that's way worse, but you still feel like is good. It's a tough call. Kyle says, shout out to Marion Men's and Women's Basketball. They both won last night. So we continue with the state winners from last night. Again, it was a great night on the collegiate floors of the Indiana State basketball teams um, throughout the state. Pacers definitely not in that same boat. We'll talk a lot of basketball on today's show. Jeff Brom going to join us at 8 o'clock as we are approaching, what did you say yesterday, Jake, about 60 hours away? From the Big Ten Championship game? Actually, I'm trying to think. Yeah, that that would be right. No, wait a minute. Correct. 60 hours. Yep. I had to think about that for a second. That, Algebra. I got tutoring today, so work slow. Well, that could be a good problem to work out. <laughs> that line is climbing. Uh, 17 for the Wolverines. It's hard to argue that. I hate to say that. Wait till after 8 o'clock to do that. Huh? Don't say you don't think they have a chance, and then we're having the coach on at eight. You got to pump it up. I think Purdue covers that. Well, ask you go, him. Kev. Do you want to ask him if he thinks seventeen is too high? You think he can comment on that? What do you think about these alternate <laughs> lines, coach? <laughs> Might not be the one to lead off with. Fair enough. Uh, Kevin Bowe, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykton here on a chilly Thursday morning in Indianapolis. Thanks for tuning in, Kevin Quarry, ninety-three-five, one zero seven-five, the fan. Defense, defense, defense. That was the name of the game last night in Bloomington from Mike Woodson's Hoosiers. Stifling on that end of the floor. Didn't shoot it great from the perimeter nor the foul line, but they controlled that game start to finish. They win by 12. Frankly, didn't feel like it was even that close. Here was Mike Woodson yesterday, last night on uh, Indiana's defensive effort. This was a total team effort across the board. From a defensive standpoint, we were truly, truly solid uh, from the beginning to the end. And, uh, you know, a lot of things didn't go our way from a foul standpoint, but, you know, it's what it is, man. We played through the the, the fouls that were called and, and was able to bring the game home. Trace Jackson Davis, 21. Xavier Johnson, 20. Uh, Jalen hood Shafino, great start to the game for the freshman. And Trey Galloway. Uh, back in the lineup after missing a few with a knee injury. Really important minutes from him off the bench. Uh, elsewhere in college basketball last night, it was Purdue 79-69 over Florida State. I can't believe the Knolls now 1-8, and eight, but Gosh. Purdue impressive, uh, especially considering their circuitous route to get down to Tallahassee. 7-0 and oh now for the Boilers. Zach Eady, 25, and again, that freshman backcourt combined for 24. Braden Smith with 13, Lawyer with 11 for Purdue. Butler, 76-64 over Kansas State. It was Western Illinois, 86-78 over Southern Indiana. And Notre Dame, now 5-1, 70-52 last night over Michigan State.
Much needed from Mike Bray and the boys last night. Uh, not good at all for the Indiana Pacers last night in Sacramento. They get run off the floor, uh, 137-114. I think Rick Carlisle took about 15 timeouts to try and um, stop runs. Tyrese Halliburton got a technical. It just seemed like Sacramento embraced a lot more of the We've had this one circled. Our crowd, I mean, their crowd was tremendous. They've always had good crowds in Sacramento. It was like hostile for a Wednesday night NBA game. And I just thought Indiana had a hangover from, and again, maybe literally, from the um, Andrew Nemhard game winner on Monday night. Uh, Jalen Smith did have 18 in the third quarter, and then he got popped in the face. Um, So curious if there will be an update on that. He was probably the only individual bright spot last night. Uh, Benedict Mathurin had 22, but I don't think necessarily shot the nah, ball well. like 6 of 17. Yeah. But boy, I did love watching Demonis Sabonis play again. 11, 10, and 7 for Domas in 22 minutes. Did you see, by the way, that, and this came out yesterday, just before we got off the air, um, and I, I thought, well, did we mention this or not? But did you see the report that Ronaldo, I don't know if he's confirmed to be doing this, but there he is rumored to be offered... What is it? Two hundred and seven million a year, yeah. Mark, and that's mm-hmm. per year. Yeah, from a Saudi. I, I didn't. Pardon my naivete here. I'm not a soccer aficionado. But how big is like the professional soccer league in Saudi? Arabia? Oh, is he playing for the Live Strikers? Is that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm assuming that money is going towards him not being on TV ever again. Like, if you take that offer, you're not. I mean, they're not. You're not getting Saudi Arabian soccer on your now. I'm looking at this television very often. It was at 207 million per season for three years. Yeah, that's the rumor. Did he take it or just offered it? What's the tax structure over there? Do we know? Oh, I'm sure it's all tax free. Who knows? He's got some tax issues anyway. So yeah, I think you sweep that under the rug, right? Okay, we're going to say that he's going to pay 32 percent in tax. I have no idea, right? Um, So that means that his direct deposit would they do twice? You think twice a month they get paid? Yeah, so you, you know me, like, just great knowledge based on my Saudi Arabian taxes. So every two weeks after taxes, he would get a check for $5,413,846.15. Paid on the 10th and the 25th of every month. <laughs> uh, the, the Colts injury. The 25th falls on a Sunday. <laughs> the Colts injury report from yesterday, again, did not practice. Coming off the Monday night game, we'll practice today and tomorrow. Kenny Moore uh, on a scooter yesterday in the locker room dealing with that ankle injury from Monday night. When you sounds say like a scooter, you mean one of those things? absence. The one where you rest your one leg and then you you, you push with the other? Correct. Not like a... Not a and, and, yeah, it was not a bird or a lime he had right. you going up and down the hallways. Uh, but Kenny's such a great athlete, he'd already perfected that. I mean, he was he was going at great speed. Rare air speed is how I would qualify uh, the air. speed for Kenny Moore up and down the hallway yesterday. Uh, Quiddy Pay looks like he could be back to practice again when they get uh, out on the field today. We should note, Dallas, no Michael Gallup, no Trayvon Diggs, two important Cowboys. Uh, They did not practice due to illness. We've seen this certainly around the NFL, hell, certainly around the entire country right now. Um, I would say if the Colts have any hope this week, they would probably need to see a few more guys pop up on the illness side of the injury report for Dallas. Now, the to go back to this real quick, Kevin, the Colts have had an illness, kind of a bug go through there, right? Not Multiple like weeks now. Yeah. yeah, I mean like seven or eight guys. So I think it's just something to monitor uh, for the Cowboys here 
moving forward. All right, we'll uh, talk some basketball. Curious your guys' thoughts. Purdue, Indiana, uh, Pacers, 317-239-1070. If you want to join the conversation, Bowen 1070 on Twitter, at Jake Query on Twitter. Jeff Brom going to join us here. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Here in about 20 minutes. Jeff Braun, the head football coach of the Purdue Boilermakers, who will be here Saturday night for the Big Ten Championship game against Michigan, going to join us just about 16 minutes from right now. Good morning to you on a Thursday. Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton here as well. We talked for the first part of the program about Indiana's big win last night over North Carolina, which if you listened to this radio program yesterday, you knew Indiana was going to win by 12. Uh, Butler, also a winner, Purdue and Florida State, it was the Boilers and the ACC. So the state of Indiana doing their part in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, which was won by the ACC. Uh, Notre Dame. Don't forget Notre Dame. Don't forget about Notre Dame in the state of Indiana doing it for the other side. Doing it for the ACC, I guess, that cemented it. But, um, Kevin, to shift gears a little bit, I wanted to, to kind of piggyback off something that you had mentioned. You could always tell, and I always think it's an interesting, fascinating dynamic at the end of a football season when you go in after the Colts have been eliminated or if it was a year where they didn't make the playoffs, you know, that they come in for their meetings and then everybody has big trash bags and they're cleaning out their locker. I always thought it was amazing. Like, these guys are, like, taking everything home in trash bags. But there's always that that kind of a mix within the locker room in those moments of, like, this depression that the year's over, but also you can tell from guys kind of this excitement that they get to go off on vacation or whatever it might be. You were saying, and I wanted you to elaborate on it, that yesterday you could sense, not that, obviously, but you could sense that players kind of felt like maybe they've turned a corner here or that they've hit a fork in the road in the season. Is that fair? I would, yeah, I would phrase it as just reality is set in. Reality is set in for them. Um, I mean, you look at, and we heard from Jeff Saturday, we heard it from Matt Ryan, several guys in that locker room when asked the question about you know where you are within the standings where you're at within the NFL season I mean there's five games to go and technically the Colts are not eliminated from the playoffs and even with a loss on Sunday they would officially not be eliminated from the playoffs yet the answers I heard yesterday were a lot of a hey you're still putting game film on your resume for 31 other NFL teams and we're going to learn a lot about guys and their motivation level here down the stretch. I think it was an admittance, a reluctant it, admittance to where you're at on December 1st. And it's very rare to hear that inside of a building, inside of a locker room, until it's officially done. Like, usually you don't hear that. Now, I also think this, Jake, Colts aren't used to this. They missed the playoffs last year, and they had a 98% chance to make the playoffs in week 16, 17. If you go back to the 2019 season with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, they go 7-9. They still started that season 5-2, so they still were thinking playoffs, playoff, playoffs. This is so different in that really ever since probably, 
I know at one point they were, I don't know, were they over 500 after they beat Denver? Um, there has been a, oh boy, this could get ugly early in the season. Um, and it's just such a bummer, to be frank. And I'm speaking a little selfish here from it because the storylines that we have talked about here recently and will talk about in the, in the month of December, those are off-season storylines. But those are the ones that matter right now. Because this team is not in the hunt. This team is not lurking for a playoff spot. Remove them from that playoff graphic. And I just thought yesterday the vibe around that building, again, from Jeff Saturday and the players in that locker room, was a little bit more of, we just got an absolute blow to the canvas, and we're one blow away from being done. Let me give you a couple of names, and I want you to tell me, in your opinion, Kevin, whether these are, when I mention names to you, would you put these people in the camp of still wanting to win right now and stay in the hunt and hope that things fall their way? Or are they in the camp of resigned to the fact that it's time to start looking towards next year? Okay? Matt Ryan. Yeah, he's he's trying to win now. Okay. Jeff Saturday. Yes. Win now. Jim Irsay. I think win now. He wants Jeff Saturday to work out. Okay. Um, Chris Ballard. That one's a little bit more awkward. Um, Jake, if they continue to lose, I think it continues to expose the personnel on the roster. That's not a ringing endorsement of Chris Ballard. Um if they somehow find a jolt over the final five games and they go four and one, does Chris Bauer say at the end of the year, look, we went five and three when Jeff Saturday came here. It was more of a coaching issue than it was a personnel issue. So I honestly think Ballard, as much as if he's here next year, a high draft pick favors him. He probably is a little bit selfish about his own resume right now from a win-loss standpoint. I'm going to ask an incredibly redundant and elementary question, but I don't know that we have necessarily, for a year, we've done this show, right? And for a year, I have leaned on your Colts expertise, probably, because I think you you have a pulse on it better than anyone around. So let me ask you this simplification that I've probably never asked this directly to you. You ready? This season, the Colts have been a disappointment. The main culprit or reason for that is blank. You know, at the start of the year, Jake, I was always worried about top-down accountability. And that I, that was kind of my big, big worry. Um, but I would say personnel more than anything. And just overall roster construction. I think there's issues coaching, sure, but I don't think you gave your coaching staff the best blueprint to build a house that's necessary in today's NFL. Do you think when you say personnel, do you think that they have players that are not necessarily good enough, or do you think they have good players that just don't mesh with one another? Because there is a difference. Yeah, I think they have good players at not the most impactful spots. That's where that's that's what I've said forever, right? You know, is when I was thing. in you know little league baseball, where are you playing your best guys? Shortstop and center field. You know, you feel like that's going to get the most action, right? Right. 
and the Colts have their best players at second base and right field. Yeah. And you're just hoping the ball doesn't get hit there. You know, they've got, inside of our studio here, on Monument Circle, they've got monitor. We have TV monitors up, and one of them up here, I don't know which one, but it was just showing a blurb uh, from the 85 NFC Championship game between the Chicago Bears and the Rams. And it almost feels like the 2022 Colts are built in a way that it would have been more competitive against the, say, 85 Bears than the 2022 Bears. Because the way that they're built was really good in the mid '80s, running the football in the trench. You know what I mean? I mean, big guys in the trenches, that kind of thing. It just you got to have speed, you got to have separation, you got to have dynamic playmakers. That when all hell's breaking loose, that you for- that on the field, the other team's like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that guy, and there he goes, and they just don't have that. You know, I posted this story to 107.5thefan.com yesterday. This is a Chris Ballard quote following the 2019 season. Our passing game has to improve. You have to be able to throw the football to win in this league. Ballard back in January, following the 2021 season. The passing game has to be better. Just has to be. It's a passing league, and you've got to be able to throw it. I mean, traffic has to get better in this lane. Well, there are three others. Why don't you change lanes at some point? I, you know what I mean? I mean, Just the actions have not backed up right. those words. I mean, I mean I, I, how do you say that and then go out? Literally, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I, are you kidding me? Yeah, no veteran free agent wideout, none at tight end, nothing of substance on the offensive line, and thinking that Matt Ryan would kind of be the cure-all. I mean, and when and, you wait when and you, defiantly, defiantly belittling anybody who tried to point out to you why your own quote need where it can be, where that can be achieved. You know what I mean? Like defy, like sitting with your arms crossed and literally getting on the media, the media for crying out loud in Indianapolis, Indiana. If you are affected by offended by or intimidated by the media in indianapolis indiana and you are the general manager of a football team no wonder your team is soft see that's another loaded question so you just keep leading me down this road here i i mean come on man a team that has thrown the football pretty well this season and will need to do it saturday night that would be the purdue boilermakers head coach of the boilers jeff brahm ahead of saturday's Big Ten title game. He joins us next right here on Kevin and Corey. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 8 o'clock on a Thursday. Good morning to you, Jake Query, Kevin Bowen here. Our next guest, I have a feeling, I don't know why I think this, I could be totally off base, seems to me like the kind of guy that might occasionally listen to some Black Sabbath or Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, but Jeff Brom, who is the head football coach of the Purdue Boilermakers, joins us on the Payless Liggers Hotline. He will be bringing his football team, of course, to Lucas Oil Stadium for the Big Ten Championship game facing Michigan on Saturday night. Coach, congratulations on the destination and coming back to Indianapolis, and thanks for joining us this morning. Well, thanks for having me, and definitely I do listen to that music. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling there. Hey, I, I want to ask you, um, you come in winning three straight, and, and – I got to thinking about this, and 
The Big Ten West was so up for grabs till the very end there. I'm curious. If you had to to put your, your finger on it, did it end up going to the Purdue Boilermakers because you guys focused on what you had to do to win the Big Ten West, or did it end up being the Purdue Boilermakers because you kind of let the chips fall and just went about your business without hyper-focusing on what was at stake? Well, I think it's a combination of both. Uh, you know, we understand uh, how this conference works. Uh, there's a lot of parity. There's a couple of really elite dominant teams every year. That's probably not going to change a whole lot. But uh, a lot of the others, uh, anybody can win on a given day. So we just feel like that if we, you know, go through the ups and downs of the season, find ways to get better, be able to take constructive criticism, uh, come back the next week, try to improve and, and uh, eliminate some of the mistakes, uh, you'll have a chance. I just think our guys competed hard. Uh, we fought through some adversity. We, we found out a way to just win enough games to, to get to the championship. So, you know, credit goes to those players because they did a great job. Coach, obviously you were dealing with, you know, some tragic stuff off the field um, last Friday. Um, I'm curious where you were when that Nebraska-Iowa game ended. Were you guys, like, en route to Bloomington? Was there, like, an audible cheer? Uh, what was that experience like, and did you watch the end of that game? Well, we go through our typical uh, weekly schedule, and uh, at that time we're already at the uh, away game hotel uh, doing meetings and dinner and doing those things at night. So it, we were kind of involved with that, and, of course, you'd peek at your phone or some things like that to see uh, you know what was going down. And, um, you know, it just happened that uh, Nebraska got off to a great start, was able to throw the ball over their head a little bit, and then they had to hang on for dear life like you always do. But uh, – you know, Nebraska was a good football team. They just, uh, you know, they found a way to, to make enough plays early on to get a win, and of course, it helped us uh, find a way to get in this game. Did you make sure your team knew that they won? I mean, obviously, it's 2022. Of course, they knew. But like, did you bring that up at all Friday night of we're playing for even more tomorrow afternoon? You know what? Not not, not really. Not at that point. Uh, you know, we've talked about some things before, and uh, I think before the uh, Iowa game at home. I brought up a little bit about, uh, you know, what, what's at stake. And uh, we didn't play very good. So I said, you know what, let's just concentrate on one game at a time and not bring up, uh, you know, what can happen at the end of the year end of the year if we stay focused and do things right. And let's just take it weekly because uh, I think we do a better job when you just worry about the task at hand for that week and don't get caught up in, you know, what the fans and, and, and everyone else is looking at, which is rightfully so. But I think our players just have to concentrate on, on winning that football game. Coach, in terms of – Jeff Brom is our guest, the head football coach of the Purdue Boilermakers. In terms of, you know, I think most know now, for those that do not, Aiden O'Connell, your courageous quarterback, who's been a veteran leader for you, found out before the bucket game the tragic passing of his brother. When, when you have situations like that with a player – you know, you've kind of got to shift maybe from coach to brother type role or fatherly type role, whatever it might be for a player, but at the same time, navigate through the football responsibilities, allow the player to decide maybe whether or not they want to play. How, how did you handle that, all of that situation? And can you give us a glimpse into the strength that Aiden O'Connell showed as well and maybe a moment where you said to yourself, this is a young guy going through a lot that that I think is going to be okay from a mental standpoint with his strength. Well, you're right. Uh, when things like that happen, football is secondary, and uh, we want to make sure that we support all of our players uh, through those type of uh, situations. They're not easy. You don't wish, wish them on anybody. Uh, it was unfortunate timing, um, and um, you know he 
he was able to make the trip on the bus down to the hotel with us. Was not doing uh, you know very well. Uh, did not attend our meetings uh, that night. Um, you know, needed some more time. But I do think the more he was around our players and uh, even some of our coaches, um, you know, he he got the strength to decide to, you know, that his brother would probably want him to play the game. And um, you know, it's probably because he has such strong faith. Um, he handled it probably as good as anybody I've seen handle it. And um, and then he went on, of course, and played the game and uh, played through some adversity in the game as well. But found a way to help us come out on top. And uh, obviously it was emotional for him. Uh, but those things are tough. I mean, you, you can't really predict how it's going to happen. We had a backup plan ready to go. We really didn't know for sure if he was going to play uh, until maybe late Friday night. Uh, we felt that, you know, he was going to give it a shot. But uh, those are tough situations. Um, so we just want to support Aiden and his family, and really anybody who's going through those situations because it's not, not fun at all. Coach, I remember when we had you on a few months back, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you said something to the effect of, you know, I would want Aiden O'Connell to marry my daughter. Like, he, he's that type of a human being. Um, can you describe what you've seen from him in the past week going through all of this? And I guess maybe just an update on how he is, you know, today in, in preparing for Saturday. Well, Aiden's hanging in there and handling it uh, as well as you can. Um, yes, he is a tremendous human being. Uh, he's been that way since he got here. Uh, he's always had great faith. It's continued to grow. Uh, of course, he, he got married uh, to one of our volleyball players here, and uh, a lot of our players and coaches were at that wedding and reception. Um, and he's just uh, almost the perfect uh, individual. I mean, uh, you, uh, you don't you don't see any... A bad traits. He's a great teammate. Uh, he gets along with everybody. He's got a great personality. Uh, he's fun to be around when you really get a chance to spend time with him. Um, so he's just, uh, his faith has carried him to this point. Uh, he's earned everything that he's gotten. Um, he's been very strong through this, and he's still, you know, there's, there's still some tough moments that he, that he goes through. But, uh, you know, he's here with us now, and uh, we're going to support him. And I do think that uh, being around his teammates, because he has a lot of really close friends, uh, have helped him as well get through this. Has he been able to practice this week? Uh, he got back with us uh, yesterday and was able to practice then. Coach, you have Jeff Brom is our guest on the Payless Stickers Hotline. Over the course of the season, you're riding a three-game streak right now. You had four straight wins uh, a couple of months ago. When was your team, over the course of this year, playing its best football? Oh, shoot. Uh, you know, I don't know if we really, like everybody, played our best football. We, we've had some uh, uh, early mistakes in the season that I think cost us, uh, you know, the possibility to win some games. Um, and then uh, we had a stretch there where we kind of corrected some of those and played better football and, and uh, you know, won at Minnesota and won at Maryland. Um, and then we faced some teams that we have a hard time beating in, in Wisconsin and Iowa that uh, – you know, we, we couldn't find a way to get it done. We made more mistakes, and we found other things that we needed to correct. And I think we just go about it on a weekly basis. We try to identify, you know, what can we do as coaches first to, to be better? What really hurt us in this game? Let's make sure we talk about it, address it. Let's try to get it fixed so it doesn't happen again. And let's just try to improve. And I just think our guys have a good attitude. Uh, they know that every week is going to be a, a bad on the test, and we're going to have to come ready to play. It doesn't matter who we play. Uh, so I just think they have a great attitude. They have great mental makeup. Um, no, we haven't played our best football. You know, you, you know, IU were down at halftime. Uh, Northwestern's a close game. Uh, but 
our guys fight and battle and uh, we find a way to, to, to do enough to win. And of course, you know, in this upcoming game, we're going to have to do a whole lot of things uh, very, very well to have a chance to win. In which game this year did you learn the most about your team? Well, I thought the Minnesota game was uh, a huge one for us. We haven't won at Minnesota in a long time. Um, we had just come off, uh, I don't know, it might have been one and two at the time, and Minnesota was undefeated and ranked. And, uh, you know, we had to come in with a plan. I thought we kind of adapted and uh, got some things fixed, came in with a good plan, played much better on, on defense. Uh, that, that, that really helped us find a way to win. Really, Devin Mockaby started to merge in that game, so that really helped us uh, when we had a little bit of a running game that was a spark for us. And I just think we continued to kind of uh, tweak some things along the way, but Minnesota was uh, a huge win for us to be able to go there at 1-2 and two and beat them when they were undefeated. Going to be a lot of black and gold downtown this weekend. Again, Purdue and Michigan, 8 o'clock over here at Lucas Oil Stadium. Jeff Brom with us right now on the Payless Liquors hotline. Uh, what, I guess, in watching Michigan against Ohio State and just watching film on them this season, what stands out to you about Michigan? Well, a lot. Uh, when you watch them, there's not uh, really any weakness. You know, in defense, they're really, really good. Their front four and front seven, linebackers included, are as good as we're going to face all year. they got a good secondary. They don't give up the big play. Uh, they make you earn it. Uh, you may get a few yards here and there, but they don't give up the big play. They get way more exotic on third down and get after the quarterback. Uh, and they may not have an Aiden Hudson, but they got a, r- a lot of really, really good players from the stout in the middle. So that's going to be a tough chore for us. And offensively, I mean, as good a running game as you can have uh, in college football, great offensive line, a bunch of really big, good tight ends. And then now what makes them different this year than last year, they have a really dynamic quarterback that can extend plays, get outside the pocket, and it gives them that other element. So that makes it tough to beat. And you know what? Uh, they did a heck of a job against Ohio State. Uh, you know, Ohio State had the lead early. They hung in there, and they just kept swinging, uh, and they warmed down. And I just think they're a physical, dominant, Big Ten football team with not any weaknesses, and you're just going to have to find a way to, you know, just do a couple things and maybe get them on their heels, and hopefully they can find a way to get some turnovers and something can happen. But we got to do something because they have been uh, really outstanding to this point. You know, when you say we got to do something, your history at Purdue indicates that top five teams um, have not had great success against Purdue, and I feel like you've often pulled out a few. Um, interesting decisions you know kind of a few bags you know reach into your bag of tricks if you will um is it something like you literally have okay these plays these you know fake punts fake field goals whatever we save these for top five teams or is that just something that you have and you use them throughout the season whenever you feel uh it's necessary well i wish i could say that i was that smart but no i don't don't save them for for those teams (laughs) i don't know when i'm going to play them but uh what we do is really our mentality when we play those teams is, is uh, you know what, we understand in order to win this game, we're going to have to do something different and, and special. Uh, so in general, it's just, you know what, we have to play aggressive. So offense, defense, special teams, we have to play aggressive, and we have to uh, step up the plate and not try to get a bunt single. We have to try to hit it in the alley or hit it over the fence. And you know what, we may strike out a few times, or you know what, we may get beat really bad, I don't know. But we have to um, be aggressive in our approach. And even when we you know, beat Ohio State years ago, in the second half, when it started to get close, a lot of teams will start to kind of sit on the lead and try to just uh, hold on for dear life. And when you do that, you're not going to win. So, uh, you know, you have to be aggressive. It has to be constant. Yeah, you may take a few on the chin. You may, 
get down early, you, know, you, you never know. But you just have to really uh, be aggressive in your approach to have any chance to win against outstanding football teams. Is it dangerous to look at the Big Ten championship game and try to dwell too much on what Michigan does and where they can be exploited versus just doing what you think your team needs to do? Because this is somewhat of an unfamiliar opponent, crazy as that sounds, because it's a conference opponent, obviously. But what jumps out at you about Michigan and how much do you dwell on Michigan versus dwelling on Purdue, if that makes sense? Well, you, you do both. I mean, you have to understand what Michigan's all about, what their strengths are, weaknesses are, and then you got to figure out what your strengths, weaknesses are. And uh, you know, for example, I mean, we're down at uh, you at half, and it came to you know what we we need to get the ball to our best playmakers, and then work off of those. And uh, Charlie Jones, Payne Durham, Devin Mockaby, they need to touch the ball. And and when we did that, we started to move down the field. So yes, there's a combination of both, uh, but you do have to understand you know where Michigan's strengths are and. Uh, I mean, we're going to have to get the ball out fast because they're going to get to the quarterback. Uh, they got, <laughs> they're really good up front. Uh, we're going to have to figure out ways to move the pocket. I mean, I, I don't want to give away a lot of things, but there's just a lot of things you got to do different. And on, on defense, you have to you have to stop the run. And at the same time, you know, Ohio State gave up a lot of big passes uh, for huge games. You, you can't do that. You can't give up huge, big chunks as well. So there's have to be some type of balance and some type of risk that you use. And, um, you know, you roll the dice and uh, – you know, you hope that you hope that it works, but uh, it's just a combination of both. But this is a really good football team. I give them a lot of credit uh, to go into Ohio State and win the way they did. It means that uh, you know they know how to play football, and those guys know how to coach. So, uh, you know, we're we're looking forward to the atmosphere. We're looking forward to a championship level uh, game. We're looking forward to playing against, uh, if not the best team in the country, the, one of the top two. And, and I think it's just going to be a lot of fun. Coach, I know people are looking forward to it, not only Purdue fans, of course, but just the city in general. It's a fun atmosphere, and it's great to have some local flavor to it. So we wish you the best. Congratulations on winning the Big Ten West, and best of luck against Michigan in the Big Ten championship game. Good luck, Coach. Thank thank you, guys. Have a good day. Appreciate it. That's Jeff Brom, the head football coach of the Purdue Boilermakers. Um, We're up against it there, Kevin. One of the questions that I, I was thinking about as we're talking to him, Purdue has probably more than any other school in the Big Ten seemingly more helmets than like other teams what's your favorite Purdue helmet oh boy I have I, I liked think, a few of the alternates they've gone I, with they've got in, a lot in, of in recent years um is there one just solo train just the train on it I th- I think there is I'm looking right now at I'm picturing like a black helmet white jerseys um, they've got they've got a white one with a silver P. They've got obviously the matte the matte black is pretty good. With yeah, the, the matte black it. I think is the one that I. Um, I'm a fan. Are they the home team? I don't know how they determine. Yeah, I don't even know how that works. Would it be the higher seed, if you will, that had the better record within the conference? But but I'm a fan of, and this strictly is a childhood bias. I love just the gold helmets with the black P on it. I, I, to me, because I, that was the helmet that Purdue wore when I was a kid and first went to Purdue games. And then likewise for Indiana, the Bill Mallory era Indiana helmets of kind of the the darker, you know, I, I know crimson is almost like the maroon red with the white block eye. Those are my two favorite helmets. But that, is that just because I was a kid, I guess, and they're simple? Man that likes tradition right there. The black helmets with Purdue Pete holding the sledgehammer is also pretty cool. 
I liked his answer there about, you know, when you play these types of teams, they're trying to kind of slay the dragon, if you will. I do think Jeff Brom exudes this amount of aggression and confidence that his team has clearly felt in these sorts of matchups. Go win the game. You know, you got to play with aggression and not kind of hope that Michigan's going to give it to you. And I think he you know, kind of hinted at from a stop the run and move the pocket standpoint. Those are some areas that Purdue's got to tap do into. You, when you look at the Purdue, or excuse me, the Michigan-Ohio State game, and Michigan, you know, really blowing out Ohio State in the second half. Did that tell you more about Michigan or Ohio State? Well, I will say I couldn't believe how well Michigan threw it down the field. I would agree with that. That probably stood out to me the most. But then I was very disappointed in Ohio State's lack of punching back. And I'll give Michigan credit that Michigan, kind of like what Jeff Brown was saying there, Michigan didn't let off the accelerator. You know, they went for it, right? Now, the indoor weather should help Purdue. You know, I think, you know, the friendly confines of Lucas Oil um, is going to help a team that relies a little bit more on the pass. And if they can get Mockaby going like they have here in recent weeks, that would be huge. And I, I just, I'm really looking forward to Saturday night. I think it's, you know, for a fan basis, what you hope for. You hope to be in these sorts of atmospheres. And I mean, you think about the magnitude of Saturday. It's the biggest Purdue football game since when? Since the Rose Bowl? Probably the Rose Bowl, yeah. Well. Wasn't that Wisconsin game, the Oregon game? Wasn't that early in the year, though? No, I think that was. I mean, it wasn't like the final game of the regular season. You need this to go to the the, the Rose Bowl. The Orton fumble game, because I was kind of on the Purdue beat for Channel 6 at that time. The Orton fumble game, if I'm not mistaken, was the first game after the BCS rankings came out. Right. I'm picturing Purdue like 6-0 or 5-1, something like that. So it was like. Two-thirds of the way through the year, I think. And I know Purdue fans are like, are you kidding me? You just had Brahm on, you're talking 20 minutes, and now you bring up the Orton fumble? No, I'm just referencing... No, 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 I don't mean you. I mean both of You know what I mean? Biggest Purdue game. But that was... In a long time. I mean, that that game was huge with Wisconsin. I remember going to the big house, uh, that Kyle Orton team. It might have been later that year, and, and they got beat in... They had a game in the horseshoe that was big. Some of those Tiller years were big. But, yes, in terms of an end-of-year springboard-type game, you know, look, the Big Ten Championship's on the line. I mean, that's pretty darn big, right? I got some Fan Fest stuff on Georgia Street Convention Center, Indiana Sports Corp. Got you covered in all of that. Joey Chestnut, I believe, doing an eating contest, shrimp eating contest, St. Elmo, on Georgia Street. Um, Do you think from a hospitality economic impact It'd be better if Iowa was here or Purdue. Iowa, because Purdue, you're going to have well. But, but I mean, fan Iowa's base, just a rematch from last year. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I mean, the best case scenario would be Nebraska. <laughs> but <laughs> well, yeah, that's an understatement. By the way, Purdue was five and zero, five and zero when the Kyle Orton game happened. Um, I just think you get so much foot traffic from Purdue fans. I, yeah, you're right. It's I, probably better for the bars and the restaurants than anything. I mean, hotel-wise, Purdue's interesting, though, because, you know, Purdue alum, the, the, the Purdue Alumni Association, I mean, they go everywhere because the, the, the degrees in which Purdue has specialty are so specified that they are coveted nationwide. I mean, you know, you go to Purdue, the people well, come from all over the country to go to Purdue, and then once they get a job or once they get a degree from Purdue, especially if it's in engineering, they go anywhere in the country because that is a very coveted 
degree. It's a specified degree. So you probably do have people that are coming in from more than just like Fishers and Noblesville that are Purdue fans. Now, how much that translates into hotels, I don't know. The best case scenario would be probably if it was ever Penn State and Nebraska because that's enough travel time that you wouldn't have people yeah. driving in day of. Mark, you look like you're dying over there. Is everything going okay? I'm hanging Jeez. in there. Man, thank you, though. <laughs> like, like you, Gosh. you've got the... Uh, morning, Mark. You look got, good, man. <laughs> no, he's got the sinus deal where you can't... I can tell you're so... Your your mouth is wide open all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you Just leave your mic on, if yeah. you don't mind. Good ambient noise for the final hour and a half. ASRM or whatever they call it. Hey, Jeff Brom, our producer has a question. Uh, Mr. Bob, what do you think is going to happen? I looked over at one point and you were just sitting there with your mouth wide open, like you couldn't, like you couldn't believe what you're witnessing. (laughs) My vision—that's how Purdue Cape. That's how Purdue Pete sounds. That's uh, (laughs) what I'm envisioning there with Mark. Just thinking of all the drugs I'm going to take to try to kick this thing later. Ah, Sudafeds and Benadryl. Are you on a watch list yet? You bought so much Sudafed. (laughs) Was you the Walter White of Central Indiana? I guess, right? Uh, in the 9 o'clock hour, Zach Kiefer's going to join us. We'll talk with Scott Agnes. Uh, a lot of college basketball still to get to. We opened the show with heavy college basketball chatter. We'll continue that coming up here in a few minutes. Let's do a morning check down. College basketball last night. It was Indiana 77-65 over the Tar Heels of North Carolina. North Carolina now 5-3, Indiana 7-0. Bottom line, Kevin, this was a game that when you look back on it, you're going to say Mike Woodson wanted to preach defense and his team delivered it last night at Assembly Hall. It did, and you know, it's been the calling card in the Mike Woodson era. It's a team that hasn't shot it great from the perimeter, but last night they were in full control of that game, just suffocated Carolina. Everything contested really early on. The only thing Carolina was making were just prayers, and you knew Indiana was in control. North Carolina never comfortable in that one. 77-65. Trace Jackson Davis outstanding, 21 points. Xavier Johnson, 20. Jalen hood Shafino, great start for the freshman who'd been struggling a bit with his jumper. And Trey Galloway back in the lineup after missing a few due to injury. Important minutes for him off the bench. Indiana now opens up the Big Ten slate this, I believe it's this Saturday, at Rutgers. Elsewhere in college basketball yesterday, uh, did you already mention Butler 76-64 no. over Kansas State? It was Purdue 79-69 over Florida State. Uh, Notre Dame winning over Michigan State 70-52. to That's a pretty big win for Mike Brace. Much needed now. after they got run off the floor by St. Bonaventure over the weekend. 5-1. Uh, and one. And kudos to Indiana State. 7-1 and one now. They are 1-0 and oh in the Moval as they beat Drake 75-73. Uh, Pacers last night, absolutely awful. They get smoked 137-114 to the Kings. You worried all, Jake, these last three games outside of a 10-minute stretch to end the fourth quarter. The Pacers have kind of been outclassed. Yeah, they... Some of the shooting has gone away a little bit for certain. Um, and we knew the step up was coming with this West Western they, trip. They basically said that, right? That, that this was going to be a real test. So worried, I would say no, because at this point you've already exceeded expectation, right? Sure. So, um, you know, you're going to have growing pains. That's the thing, though. Somebody sent me a thing last night that said, hey, you guys, 
you know, not us. We've all kind of been right in anticipating that they're going to have some games they look like world beaters. They're going to have other games where you think, what in the world is going on? Yeah, I thought Sacramento just handled a little bit more juiced up regular season environment much better considering the trade and the storylines you had within that game. Buddy Heal, Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner, three guys that, you know, a little bit more to play for last night considering those things. They combined to go 12 of 35. So, I think it got to them a little bit there. Sabonis had nearly a triple-double in 23 minutes um, for him. Keegan Murray, 14-6 and six in 26 minutes for Sacramento. Keegan Murray is one that I, I think people thought would get going into a rhythm a little bit faster than he has, right, for Sacramento? Yeah, I don't think he shot it maybe as well as they thought, but it hasn't been bad by any means. Um, I do like their starting lineup. I think they got a nice group there in Sacramento. Uh, the Colts yesterday did not practice, but it was um, an injury report that they had to release with the short week here coming off the Monday night game. On that injury report, it did not practice. would be Kenny Moore. Um, they've announced an ankle injury for him. He was riding one of those scooters around the complex yesterday. Sounds like Kenny's- That's one of those knee resting and then you push around, right? Correct, okay. yeah. But although, I think he could race a bird or a lime and give him a, a, a run for its Isn't money there. Is there a third scooter company downtown? Can't say I've stayed abreast well, on that. I got news for you. I know you're very plugged into it, that. Enjoy that the scooters while you can because when I become mayor of Indianapolis, those bad boys are all going in the canal. Now, have I you mean, made an announcement? Have you made an announcement of that? It seems like a lot of people are announcing their run. My candidacy? No, I'm still waiting. There are a lot of things that you know, I'm getting my ducks in a row here. Um, or in this case, the ducks. And I like the ducks, but they're going to have to get out of the canal because the scooters are coming in. We got rid of the blue Indy cars a couple years ago. That was a big part of my campaign. That's already taken care of, so now it's scooters. It uh, looks like Quiddy Pay could return this week. He's only played twice since that Denver game in early October. I think the Colts could use him. Uh, for Dallas, a couple of illness guys, Michael Gallup, Trayvon Diggs, the outstanding corner there. So that would be something to monitor with Dallas the rest of the week. You know, Quiddy Pay truthfully luxury what you need in Gakwe. in my opinion that sucked <laughs> how quick i had that fired up that, that that almost cut me off as a matter yeah. of fact it was that great quick. work mark <laughs> thank you you see um the in, Sudafed's got you all hopped up i'm back baby <laughs> you see the unfortunate announcement from indiana yesterday on the dexter williams front uh actually i did not obviously we're talking about the Essentially, um, non-contact injury in the bucket game, right? Yeah, a knee dislocation with significant structural damage. Surgery coming next week for Dexter Williams, the redshirt sophomore quarterback. Uh, You've got to find a quarterback in the transfer portal if you're Indiana. I mean, that sounds like something that could impact 2023. Yeah, that's unfortunate because... We know uh, Jack Tuttle's in the portal. Connor Bazelik entered the portal as well. Um no idea who Indiana's starting quarterback will be next year. Yeah, it's a shame. Definitely unfortunate. Shame to see that. Thursday night football tonight, Bills and Patriots. Mark, you said three and a half. That thing is shrunk Down to three and a half, yeah. Bills favored by three and a half at Gillette. Refresh my memory. That playoff game was at Gillette, right? I believe when so, When Buffalo yeah. didn't punt, scored every time. I mean, yep. that was kind of a statement by the Bills and that. It's the first time these two teams have met. It's a lot of confidence in the Patriots' offense to keep it within three and a half, if you ask I, me. I don't think the over-under was that high. So, yeah, I think it's more of a compliment to what they think New England's defense can Over-under is 43 and a half. 
Boy. Which for Buffalo is not very high. No. But that's the thing about Buffalo. They kind of play down a little bit, don't they? I mean, Thanksgiving, I think it was like 57, them and Detroit. Do you know Buffalo and Bison are the same thing? Isn't that right? I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Buffalo is the like the more modern version of what has always been known uh, originally by the Native Americans as Bison. Right? Isn't that right? All right! We'll talk some college basketball coming up here. Kevin and Corey on a chilly Thursday. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You missed Jeff Brom on with us earlier. That'll be up on the podcast after the show. Uh, Purdue basketball. Men's team gets a win last night in Tallahassee. Zach Eady, another very consistent performance from him. I've been really impressed by just his steadiness, consistent production, and just think he's got great patience. And you know, them throwing the ball into him and him reading and reacting to the double team and all of that. And Braden Smith made some winning plays to kind of spur Purdue ahead last night. And then Your bl- point earlier, Kevin, if Braden Smith flirts with the double, or a, excuse me, a triple-double on a night where Zach Eady's got 25, Purdue's going to win a lot of those games. 13-9-7 for the Westfield product last night. Then in Bloomington, it was defense. You know, when you look at 23% from three, 66% from the foul line, I think if you were to show that to Mike Woodson at the start of the night, he's thinking, ooh, boy, there's probably going to be some game pressure moments, and IU might even lose that game. Yet they win by 12. Defense outstanding, and then just dominated in the paint. Armando Baycott clearly was a little limited. I know that Trace Jackson Davis has been dealing with some stuff, but Trace um, was outstanding, and I just thought Indiana to not even shoot it, you know, even okay. Uh, really, really good work on the defensive end of the floor. What do you want? I, I, I was trying to cue up for you, Mark. For those that don't recall, Kevin just mentioned how many did Indiana win by last night, Kevin? Uh, Seventy-seven, sixty-five. Oh, you pat on the back. I, I'd like to to play. And this is now, Kevin. You got on me earlier saying that I was too. This is both of us. This is the kind of insight expertise. Uh, y- you know, listen. People ask how often we go out, at, you know, afterwards when we're not on the air and and watch and analyze and scout games. Um, this is the kind of prediction, insight, prognostication that people come to expect from their favorite radio program. Not saying that's us, but yesterday this was one of the last things said on the air here on this program. Here we Indiana's go. hosting North Carolina at nine fifteen. I I still take the Hoosiers comfortably with that. Four Indiana and a half by point twelve. Spread. I might look at an alternate line there. Mm-hmm. See, Mark, you realize- do, don't you like how he tries to tag in the? You know, this is a we thing. When yeah. his no, text, you said when, when, when his text last night was, "Can we please pull the end of the show audio where I said yeah. I you will win by and then twelve? I there was no said, we. Hey, hey, you know what? You, you were right there though, saying. Then you recorded like, it on a megaphone. Well, no, that's actually right off of our website. Oh, it's very loud. Well, that's right off our website. I don't know what to tell you there, Mark. <laughs> which which of the three of us is responsible for putting that up on the website? I'm 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 sick right now. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> well, hey, <laughs> just do you think the? <laughs> I'm out on Monday. Do you think Have it's fun be- then? Do you think it's because you can't hear anything? Wait, we what? Out Monday? Where are you going? Huh? How I much things to do? Who is your agent? 
I don't have one. I'm a free agent I right mean, now. You're like Pat Sajak. <laughs> well, you, let's not go you there. You work 12 days a year. <laughs> old dicey. Pat Sajak's a bit in the weeds these days. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying. You know, watching you know? Indiana last night, Jake, you got me thinking, if they're able to split with Arizona and Kansas coming up, and again, the Arizona game in Vegas, the Kansas game at Lo- um, Allen Fieldhouse, I mean, that's a hell of a non-conference resume. At Xavier, again, you'd get another win away from home, Arizona or Kansas. I think the North Carolina win will still be pretty good, although the North Carolina team that a lot of people thought at the start of the year is certainly not there, and that's just such a far cry from last year. I mean, last year, the non-conference resume is what kept Indiana on yeah. the bubble for so long. Well, that's what – didn't Mike Woodson basically say, you know, the the schedule he inherited that he wanted to increase it, essentially? And he did, majorly. So – um, again, I was probably more impressed by what they did at Xavier a few, I guess now, what, two weeks from tomorrow or um, two weeks ago than I was last night. Because I just think Assembly Hall is such a cheat code for Indiana almost. And I, I don't say it from an officiating standpoint. I just think teams wilt in that environment, especially one last night. I get a better barometer off what I see Indiana do away from home. You know, and what they did at Xavier and finishing off that game in a road environment – that, to me, told me and confirmed what I thought entering the season of this is a legit second weekend Sweet 16 type of team, and once you get there, anything can happen. One thing that I have never understood, and this is a hill I'm willing to die on, I know that we live in an era where people want, always want newer, bigger, better, whatever, and they've done renovations that probably – um, took away that conversation. But Assembly Hall in Bloomington, to me, is the world's coolest college basketball arena. Hickle Fieldhouse is spectacular because of the history and the hair. I, I get that. And the sunbeams coming through. But the thing about Hinkle to me that's interesting is, you know, people get super geeked about it for Butler basketball, but in reality, Hinkle Fieldhouse's legacy and aura is attached to high school basketball. Mackey is fabulous because it's loud as heck and there's not a bad seat in it because it's just a perfect circle. But the architectural eccentricity of Assembly Hall combined with, I mean, you know, are the the lower three rows or, or the upper three rows of the lower level, is it true that you can't even you couldn't even see the scoreboard back before they put the big one in because of the the ill design of the way the balcony came down? Yeah, no question. It sucked sitting up there, but it, that, that's what was cool about it. It's a good workout and, getting up there. Yeah, and then the upper, the, the balcony, I mean, is it at an angle that like one trip and you might be sailing to your death? Yeah, but I mean, that's what was cool about it. Yeah. Closer and, to the moon than you are to the court. Right. But it is just such a cool venue, and the other thing about Assembly Hall to me that is still one of the cool treasures of the state of Indiana is the fact that when you walk into Assembly Hall on the main level and you take one of the hallways that takes you to the opposite end of the court, um, and then you come back down the stairs, and, and every time it's like a geometry problem where you're like, wait a minute, which direction did I come in? Which side am I on here? Which hallway is that that I just went down to get down to here? You get completely turned around, but it's loud as can be. It completely envelopes the opponent. It it completely stifles through anybody that tries to get a momentum run against Indiana. And 
it's still to me the thing that is so fabulous about assembly hall which is now you know 51 years old or whatever is somehow or another especially from the outside it has managed to look modern no matter how old it is it still looks futuristic i just think it's the coolest venue in the state i I always have, aside from the Speedway. And again, I, I find it a bit fitting last night that North Carolina's best player in that game was a Northwestern transfer, a guy that's experienced that building before. Whereas R.J. Davis and Caleb Love and even Baycott, who was banged up, you know, some of those guys really, really struggled because, you know, I don't even think in the ACC outside of Duke, you feel much of that. Um, so I think that is what's such an advantage and that's why again you go back to Xavier where it is a true road game and that's important for Indiana because when you get into um, Big Ten play and of course the tournament you're not playing in the friendly confines of Assembly Hall those to me you get outside of your own building are a little bit better measuring sticks um, to what you're going to face when it gets real in February and March. Have we gotten away from the um college kids dressing up in like crazy character outfits in the crowd i didn't notice that as much last night well i thought the whiteout was executed pretty well right totally but like i never understood we didn't see like any teletubbies behind the basket yeah like what what that was just such a weird thing like i'm gonna i use playing let's go dress like bumblebees what well i think it's you know hey mom don't look for the cream and crimson look for you know me in a turkey costume (laughs) you could wear your turkey hat I could wear my turkey hat, yeah. Do you just wear that once a year? It's a Wednesday night Thanksgiving. I guess Wednesday morning Thanksgiving attire. You don't wear it to dinner, though. No, too hot. Mm. You know, it's got it can something hang down in the mashed potatoes a little bit. and What? It, it hangs down. Oh, never mind. What, 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 what? I mind when somewhere else as usual. Don't worry. Let's move the, on. Are you hallucinating on the shoe I think I am. How many, did you take Robitussin also? Oh, God, I wish I had some Robitussin. <laughs> I'm going to clear out some pharmacy when we get out of here. Uh, Kurt, want to talk Colts quarterback moving forward? Yeah. What's up, Kurt? Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, love the show. I've got a, a three-hour drive from Kansas City back down home to Bentonville, and it's time perfectly with your show, so it's good timing. Nice. Safe travels down there. Thank you. Uh, first, I was going to say, it's my birthday today, and I have the big one this year because I used to work at a grocery in O'Malley with Jake. Same Hell yeah, 50, so. buddy. Welcome to the Half Century Happy Club. Happy birthday, Kurt. Put on your little green <laughs> bow tie and celebrate. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I got to tell you, you know, I have a lot of stories about high school, Jake. It was awesome. You know, working at the grocery, you know, he would have the uh, cashiers and us bag boys gathered around the registers telling great stories and his analogies, so... You know, classic, classic Jake. Hell yeah. I'm shocked you've made it to 50, Kurt, <laughs> hearing that news. <laughs> so, I mean, he always talks about it. it was the best job, right? We had kids from all the different high schools. It was LA, great. LC, Chittard, Cathedral. I was Heritage Christian. It was a it was a good group. It was great. So, uh, yep. I had a quick thought on the Colts. So, ever since that Denver game, that dreadful game we all watched, I was sitting there for the first time saying... Let's just do. Let's just do. Wait, did you just get passed by a semi? What the hell just happened? There, Kurt? Are you okay? <laughs> that was a a Tesla just went by me on the uh, rumble strips there. Wow. Okay. Just, uh, All right. So anyway, <laughs> uh, sorry. Back to your Colts point. I got distracted. <laughs> so did I. Uh, 
anyway, I was for the first time since Suck for Luck, I was saying just lose already. Like I, I this is too painful. Let's get a real quarterback. But this is a bad year to be bad because there's so many bad teams. So I feel like we may not get a top five pick. You know, maybe six for ten at six through ten at best. So what are your guys' thoughts on? who we go for. I think the start of the year was probably Ohio State or the Alabama quarterback, but you know, who are those top three to five quarterbacks now? You mentioned the USC guy yesterday. I haven't gotten to see him, but um, yeah, I don't know what the strategy is. We don't know who's going to be making that decision, and you know, is it Matt Ryan for the final year and have a young guy under him, or is it Nick Foles next year with the young guy under him, or Go straight to the rookie. Just curious. Your I mean, thoughts. just shudder at some of those thoughts. First Kurt, off, happy fiftieth, man. Yeah, happy fiftieth, man. Um, first off, those questions are. I mean, that's the uncertainty where you are. Caleb Williams, by the way, despite I, I saw the other day, Kevin, somebody posted an article saying like one NFL GM says Caleb Williams will be the first player selected in this year's draft. I'm like, he's not even eligible. Right, not draft eligible. He, so you have to be three years removed from your high school graduating class. Caleb Williams is two years removed. He will not be eligible until next year. An elite-level talent. But uh, great questions, though, in terms of what the Colts do and who is going to be in charge of what they do for next year. Yeah, and again, the draft order, we're going to get a little bit more clarity here in the upcoming weeks. But, yeah, the Colts are probably you know in that 7, 8, 9 range. Um, somewhere like that, and considering what you have at the top of the draft with Houston and Carolina and maybe Detroit, and we'll see what other teams are up there, they very well could be looking at the third or fourth quarterback. And you, know, you go back to the conversation we had with Dane Brugler, NFL draft expert f- for The Athletic, and he brought up the names of Will Levis out of Kentucky, who's got a lot of the you know kind of salivating traits of the big arm and you know, can get out of the pocket a little bit and some Josh Allen type of traits, but the production was definitely not there. Um, they just had their offense coordinator fired the other day, and I know he lost a lot from a weapon standpoint this past season. You know, he would be an option. Hendon Hooker, who just you know tore his ACL a few weeks back from Tennessee, I think the one one of a couple knocks on him is just his age. Uh, I think he's already 25 years old. Uh, would that have some reservations with it? Uh, the offense he comes from is not really an NFL offense either. You know, would that make some teams pause. So I would say those are a couple of the names. We'll see what ha- what happens with Anthony Richardson, the Florida quarterback, who again is similar to Levis in that a lot of really enticing traits. Um, it's kind of been compared a little bit to Cam Newton, um, but that's what makes this so difficult. In that, in all likelihood, you probably are not going to be getting the first or second quarterback off the board. So it's more of a you've got to, you know, see if three, four, five on that quarterback list is appealing enough for you to make a move there, or you've got to try and make some giant trade up. And honestly, the team that Colts fans need to hope continues to lose, and I'm sorry, Mark, they need the Bears to lose. Yep. Because when you look at the teams... Yeah, you want a team with a quarterback drafted in front of you, You right? look at the teams right now with three wins, Chicago at 3-9 and nine would be the one that you think can have a top-five pick. And if they're up there, you know, number two or number three... Maybe Matt Eberflus and that connection would help you, you know, ha- have a trade up, and maybe the Bears would be more willing to trade with the team from the AFC than they would a team from the NFC. Is, you're going to have to give up a king's ransom, though. If they get the number two overall sure. pick, you have to give up a king's ransom. But we've seen that. Yeah. I mean, the year that Carson Wentz and Jared Goff went one, two, not in that order. Goff, Wentz, both of those Rams and the Eagles both traded up 
for those respective players. Is Green Bay in a situation of looking for a quarterback moving forward? Do they have the? Do they have him? Oh, I think they will. They will give Jordan Love a chance. You think so? Yeah, I think he got to. I mean, we've only seen him in what two games. Does King's ransom mean the ransom that a king would demand or the ransom that you would get if you were holding a king captive? I think the latter. Okay. So if you go and and you kidnap a king, you can get a ransom for that king. Okay. If you want the Earl of Sandwich back, you better (laughs) send us some old pigeons. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Now, people are saying bison is plural. That's what they said. Buffalo is singular. Bison is plural. That's what we heard. Well, Buffalo's also plural. I don't know. We have a Buffalo. Daniel knows the answer if you want to take him. Daniel, what's up? Good morning, Harris. How's everyone doing? Doing fine, thanks. I feel like death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit out of the weather. Um, so, Bison and Buffalo, this always has bothered me for years, and I'm actually making a transition from a corporate world to become a science teacher. And... Um, yeah, because, you know, I'm doing it because I want to get pay raise, basically. So, um, that's a joke, obviously. Bison are North America. And buffalo are uh, Asia, I think, like water buffalo and then uh, African buffalo. So, buffalo are about half the size. They look like scraggly, anorexic buffalo or bison, basically. So, bison are massive. 1,000 pounds would be a small one and 2,000 would be a big one. Okay, so basically, Man, bison. Daniel, you're on it. So basically, bison are buffalo that came over here, but because they live in the United States, instead of eating bison burgers, they eat regular burgers because they're fat Americans and now they're buffalo. Is that, is I that like the, the gist bison of it? Burgers. That is scientifically accurate. I think I'll use it on the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. I, you know what? I think I did know that. That, that Thank you, Buffalo Daniel. are North American bison and are bigger, stronger, faster, right? There you go. Educate and entertain. That's Zach, Zach Keeper going to join us here in about 10 minutes. We'll talk some Colts and Pacers coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. You know, I mentioned that, Kevin, about Aaron Rodgers. The reality is he's in our contract. We looked it up yesterday for like three more years. I'd forgotten that he – I was thinking that he signed, you know, after that whole saga with him last year in the offseason, I was thinking he signed like a one- or two-year deal. I think it's a four-year contract, right? Yeah, and I would just think they they want to give Jordan Love at least a year. I mean, draft him in the first round. I mean, he played against Kansas City last year. That was it, right? Didn't he look okay I think when he came I, in the Sunday other night? night? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was a two-minute drill and everything. He looked all right. He I mean, caught he, Christian Watson for a long TD. Draft but. a guy in the first round. You got to give him at least a year for sure. Well, you have to give him a contract extension because I think his contracts—he's almost done with his rookie say, deal. I mean, this is probably what year three for him, something like. So that. yeah, you get a four-year deal with the team option. Yeah, that'll be a big part of it. You know, Colt, I wanted to mention who had a really good game on Sunday, and you talk about one that's dealt with a whole lot over the past few weeks. Jelani Woods. Yeah. James Boyd from the Athletic had a really nice article on Jelani and the Virginia product was you know, had a relationship and was close with, you know, his three former teammates that were um were murdered just a few weeks ago. And there's a quote in there that just really just shook me a bit, to be honest with you. And Jelani's saying, I still see them in my dreams. Um I just can't imagine what he had been going through and then separate from getting that news um he's dealt with some things just 
professionally from injuries and some inconsistencies and didn't have a great training camp and all of that. And there he is on Monday night. He drops his first target of the game. And then after that, he comes back and 8-for-8 the rest of the game, 98 receiving yards, Um, really nice night for the rookie in Jelani Woods. So with everything that he's gone through, definitely a bright spot. And at a position where if he reaches out to seize it, it's going to be his, right? Oh, sure. I mean, he outsnapped Mo Alley-Cox, which caught my eye. Kylan Granson was out on Monday, so they really needed Jelani Woods. I think when you watch the ball thrown in his direction, you you see that frame. And I think you saw when Mika Fitzpatrick committed the defensive pass interference penalty on Jelani Woods. For a DB to try and knock the ball away, they've got to go through a whole lot of body to right. get to that ball. It's very difficult. And so I think when you throw the ball to a guy like Woods, there is that ability to, you hope that, again, his big body just catches it. But if not, if that DB wants to be aggressive, he's going to catch a whole lot of body. And there's a good chance that that can draw a flag. Does Jelani Woods' father still listen to the program? I was going to say, shout out to Gregory Woods if he's still tuning in. Well, if he is, he's going to hear Zach Kiefer from The Athletic who joins us next, right? Yes, Zach Kiefer next, Scott Agnes a little bit later. 9 o'clock hour coming up. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. <laughs> Everything going okay with their kids? Yeah, I got headset <laughs> issues and charger issues. And- we got Mark, meanwhile, can't hear anything. <laughs> I can hear. I'm just seeing Kevin break stuff again. Jake's knocking over reindeer on the circle. Yeah, the uh, Blitzen fell over. Mm. That Down was in, bad. If you look out the window here on Monument Circle, this, what do you think that thing weighs? The, That's the, a tough start the to huge December for reindeer Blitzen. that they have right down there. What do you think? What do you think that thing weighs? If we go down to try to lift it back oh, up, ten pounds? Dude, are you kidding me? That's like a let me look. I don't it's know. like a huge bronze. There are three reindeer that are on part of the circle of lights, and one of them, one of the huge stat, what would you call it, a statue? I mean, I don't know what you'd call it. It probably weighs as much as like a, a baby bison. Did you know this fun fact? If if Santa's reindeer get stuck anywhere on Christmas Eve, uh-huh. Donner is believed to be the one most likely to survive. Oh. Is he like the group like go-to guy? Like, Donner will take care of it. No, he's the group cannibal is what he is. Oh. In case they get stuck well, somewhere. grim. Getting a few questions about <laughs> a... a Donner party joke, see. Sorry, the meat's bad. I don't know what happened. <laughs> no, that's Dahmer, not Donner. Well, that's what I thought you were going. I told you, you can't hear. No, the Donner party, like Donner's Pass. Anyway, Kevin, no. as you Dahmer, were. Donner, Donner. <laughs> Getting a few questions, <laughs> and I guess that. feel the need to address it, because I'm sure it's on some people's minds about... <laughs> A tweet from Tony Donahue last night saying this, Andrew Luck is in town this week and expected to meet with Jim Ursay and Jim Harbaugh. Was told Luck flew into town yesterday as a Colts special guest. Ursay's interest in interviewing Harbaugh for the next head coach. Um, I'm under the impression Andrew Luck is not the biggest Jim Harbaugh fan, for what it's worth. Really? I am. Okay. So you don't think that 
Andrew Cannot Luck see would be Andrew Luck getting on a plane and coming to Indianapolis to be a Colts special Doesn't guest. Doesn't he live here? Does. You know, I think Jeff Smolian had that conversation with him yesterday, mentioning that Andrew and the girls are out in Palo Alto right now, grad school for him. We're getting his master's in education, so I don't know if he was flying back, you know, for that or what. But um, in terms of a luck in town, Ursay flying him back to talk Jim Harbaugh, I I do not believe that. We could ask. Should we ask Zach that, or would that be? Uh, is it too much conjecture to ask Zach Kiefer about that? Uh, I, I, I'm getting a lot of tweets about it. I'm sure Zach got some, so I don't know if he has any opinion on it. Uh, Zach Kiefer joins us now in the Payless Sugars Hotline. Of course, you can read Zach's work at The Athletic, talking about and covering the Indianapolis Colts. He joins us here on a Thursday. So, Zach, we'll begin with that. Uh, Andrew Luck being flown back on the Colts' private jet in order to sit down and introduce Jim Ursay to Jim Harbaugh, even though Harbaugh played for Ursay at one time. Your thoughts? Yeah. Um, rumor season. Here we go. Right? Um, we're going to hear a lot of this stuff, but from everything I know about Andrew Luck, I can't imagine in a million years that he's helping the Colts on their coaching search right now. Yeah. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with that. And I also thought, I didn't think the Luck-Harbaugh relationship was maybe what everyone thought it was either. I, I don't think they're tight. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll put it that way. Can Zach Kiefer with us from The Athletic. Uh, Kenny Moore on one of those knee scooters yesterday, ankle injury, and I believe you had it, Zach. Sounds like he's going to miss some time. Yeah, he's not going to play Sunday in Dallas, and it it very much sounds like it could be a couple weeks. Um, It's an ankle. Originally, he went out of the game with a shin, but it's an ankle. And, yeah, he's going to be out for some time. I think we're to the point early in the year. I don't know if you felt this way in the locker room yesterday, but... I was talking with Jake a little bit earlier. It just felt like some dejection had crept into that building. And usually that's the last place for it to go of like admitting reality of we get it. We know what our record is and guys are going to have to play for their resumes around the NFL and for, you know, self-motivated individuals going to have to show up right now. It almost seemed like for a team that's not yet mathematically eliminated, they know that they've got one eye set on the offseason vacation. Yeah, and I, and I wouldn't have said that last week. Um, and I've had some conversation with guys about just how do you approach the last couple of games, and Julian Blackman was pretty defiant. He's like, I don't know how long I'm going to be in this league. Um, and he didn't mean like he was going to get cut tomorrow, but, you know, the short-term shelf life of this league. And it, it's a very different tone yesterday. Matt Ryan talking about, you know, I've gained respect for guys and I've lost respect for guys in the past in Atlanta when they were playing hard at the end and when they vice versa weren't playing hard. So I think these guys understand where they're at, and I think the sad part of it is what they can't say is just we weren't good enough this season. It's They've run out of time. They've run out of excuses. The reality is they were just not good enough in 2022. And against four straight teams with, with winning records that are going to be fighting for playoff position, I think they know in the back of their minds that it's going to get worse in the next month. Zach, in your time covering the NFL, see if you can put an uh, an average on this, so to speak. What in in what year of the tenure of a player does their mindset start to 
see the reality that the NFL, in fact, is not for long. And I'm not talking about a guy that's like scrapping and clawing for the 53rd spot on the roster. I'm talking about, you know, established starting level players. I think inevitably in any business, but certainly in the NFL, in years like one or two, you know, you probably think to yourself like, oh, I mean, I got plenty of chances to get to the Super Bowl. Like, what year is it for most players or at what age does all of a sudden that reality of it's go time start to kick in for them? That's a good question, Jake. I don't think it's a certain age. I think it's the first major injury because it's a cold, cold business. And I was talking to some guys about this just this week. Like, your best buddy, your teammate, the guy in your position meetings every day, you know, has an injury, and then, boom, the next day he's, he's gone. His locker's cleaned out. He could be gone for the rest of the season. And, you know, I go back to, like, a guy, a good example is, like, Malik Hooker. Like, talented dude. Like, he flashed his rookie year, first-round pick, and then just got banged up a couple times and, like, didn't get his fifth-year option and was just, you know, he got banged up that second game of his last season here. And Julian Blackman came in and took his job, and it was just like, that's it. He's gone. Like, he was a first-round pick. You know what I mean? He wasn't a guy that was just supposed to be here for a couple of years. He was ideally supposed to be a starter for six or seven or eight years. And it's just it's just that cold. I mean, the one example I always go back to is the day Andrew Luck retired, the next day in the locker room, his locker was cleaned out. This is a face of a franchise. People inside the building are scrambling to get his face off posters and cups and all that promotional material. But the NFL just rolls on. And I think it hits guys when they get hurt because they start to realize that no matter how good I am, I'm replaceable tomorrow. Speaking of Malik Hooker, they're going to see him on Sunday. A lot of uh, yeah. kind of Indiana Colts ties with this Dallas roster. Zach Keeper from The Athletic is with us here on the Payless Stickers Hotline. That was kind of a cool story you shared yesterday and talking to Isaiah Rogers in the locker room, Zach. Um, again, we, we just spoke about Jelani Woods. Uh, outside of him, I would say the other bright spots from Monday night, Isaiah Rogers and Dallas Flowers. Um, kind of an interesting little story there on how Isaiah Rogers all of a sudden said, hey, let's give Dallas a shot at the kick return. And honestly, that was probably the play of the game. Yeah, if the Colts could get an 89-yard kick return every drive, they would actually score a lot of points. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A lot of Chase McLaughlin field goals there. Unfortunately, I I couldn't believe it, man. I went up there and I was just curious. I wasn't going to write a story about it, but... I think everybody's seen that Isaiah is a spark. He's a spark on special teams. He had a 45-yard return early, and he wasn't hurt. We didn't get any announcement about him being hurt. And he said, he said, yeah, man, I just I just felt like there was a big return there, and I felt like Dallas could do it. So I went to Bubba Ventura, and I told him, give Dallas a shot. And I said, are, are you kidding me? Like, I don't know if I believe you. And then a bunch of the secondary guys around him were like, that's exactly what happened. And so it speaks to Isaiah Rogers just wanting to be a really good teammate. And obviously Dallas Flowers delivered with the 89-yard return that really sort of changed the game in the third quarter. But um, honestly, I, I tell my students in Bloomington, ask questions you don't know the answer to. I had no idea why Isaiah Rogers wasn't returning kicks, and I went and asked him, and he totally surprised me with the answer. Yeah, that's uh, great reporting by you. I was curious about that. I thought Rogers just gotten banged up or something along those lines. He said he took a shot to his ribs, but it wasn't enough to keep him out of the game, obviously. And I mean, he continues to make plays in the secondary at the cornerback spot. But, yeah, it was totally just like, I want my guy to do well. <laughs> like, when's the last time they heard this in the NFL? Zach, I asked 
Kevin this question earlier, so I'm going to throw it to you as well. We've had conversations each and every week, sometimes perhaps circular, about different areas with this team this year. And I'm talking about just the, the 2022 Colts. It has fallen short of expectation. If you had to to say right now, the reason the 2022 Indianapolis Colts fell short is as simple as blank. Fill in the blank. Oh, this is easy, Jake. Everything. Everything that has gone wrong this year. Everything goes back to one unit. It's the regression of the offensive line. It's it's that simple for me. Now, like, it's nuanced, right? Like, it's not just that. Like, Matt Ryan's played poorly in a lot of places. And they don't have a lot of, you know, depth at playmakers and all that stuff, right? And JT's been banged up. But everything, everything goes back to the offensive line. And for me, it's the left tackle. If you don't have a left tackle, you're just begging to lose games in this league. And I don't hate their approach right now with Bernard Ryman. Just let him learn. And I had a long conversation with him. I mean, the sack the other night on first and 10, he ran the wrong play in the fourth quarter on a potential game-winning drive. So that's kind of the story of the season. But for me, the real issue is, is, is right guard going into the season with Danny Pinter. That killed you. But more so, it's the left tackle. It's Matt Pryor. They buried themselves early with that offensive line. And I'm not excusing the other players either. Braden Smith, Ryan Kelly, Quentin Nelson, none of them have been at their best this season. I think everybody would agree, including those three. And this offense, you know, Matt Ryan's not a quarterback that's going to overcome that. And even JT, for all of his talents, he was injured. He can't overcome that because he's getting hit in the backfield a lot. And so, you know, Frank Wright couldn't overcome that. Park Fraser's not going to be able to overcome that. So, for me, Jake, that's, that's where this all went wrong. And I remember watching the Lions in the Colts practice in August in Westfield, and and the Lions' defensive line really embarrassed Matt Pryor and Danny Tanner in a couple practices. And I always am hesitant to judge real football in August because they're not playing real football, right? I mean, even with the pads on, it's not quite real football. And I remember writing, like, Matt Pryor looked really bad on a couple snaps. He's going to struggle against speed. And I don't know how I was the only one that saw that. I remember asking Frank Reich about it. But everybody out there that saw that in the preseason and it was at Westfield knew this was going to be an issue. For some reason, somehow the Colts didn't. And it really buried their season. I mean, can you guys think of a season that's been sabotaged more by the offensive line? I mean, they don't have a shot because that group can't protect. Well, then in that preseason game, Zach, that's when they played Pryor and Penter. They they didn't play really any of their offensive starters, yet clearly they felt like they needed to play them for some reason. And I, I always thought it was odd that you know, for as much as they preach competition, we never saw that with Pryor or Penter at all during training camp. Like, I think Ryan Kelly got COVID like late in camp, and then they did that. You know, Bernard Ryman to left tackle and moved Braden Smith around. That was like day fourteen oh, yeah. of camp. We, we you know, right. we, we never even saw like okay, Matt Pryor gets the first four days, and then Bernard Ryman gets the next four, or Danny Pinter gets the first three, and then Will Fries gets the next three. I thought that was one of the oddest things of all the position battles on that football team. We never saw a true competition there. Honestly, strong safety with Rodney McLeod and Nick Cross was the only place I felt like we saw a real competition. Yeah, you're right. And that seems like 20 years ago because Nick Cross started week one and McLeod's absolutely taken over that job since. 
I hate it. I hate the fact that there wasn't a real competition at left tackle. Now, the other part of this is, is you know, Chris Strauss, the offensive line coach, was very blunt at one point, just saying, like, Ryman's not ready. Like, if he was ready, he'd be playing. And the thing that really hurt them, I think, is Danny is, is Dennis Kelly getting hurt. You know, he's a veteran. He's a guy you could probably lean on early in the season before Ryman gets ready. But, again, it just, it just defies my belief that we would sit there with Matt Pryor in April or May and ask him about playing left tackle, and he will sit up there and publicly say, if you told me I'm going to be the Colts left tackle, I, I would be the last person on earth to believe that. Like, this is the guy that's supposed to be stopping the fiercest pass rushers in the league every single week. Matt Pryor is a good guy. I've had some talks with him this season. He's, he's owned his mistakes. He knows he needs to be better. But I think even he knew that he was playing out of position. <laughs> and I go back to that quote from Joe Wright that you shared a couple weeks ago. Like, look, man, offensive linemen are made and left tackles are born. And Matt Pryor was not born a left tackle. Why did I know that in August and the Colts didn't know that in August? I, I think, Zach, and I know to this point, like, this isn't just beating a dead horse. This is now, like, sending it to the glue factory, right? But <laughs> even with that, I, I, I just keep going back to, quite frankly, I, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, maybe a younger me wouldn't have admitted this, but at this point I'm old enough, like, what the hell. I, I, I just find it offensive, quite frankly, <laughs> on behalf of all of us within that, that cover the team. And we're very privileged to be able and fortunate to be able to, to get into games free and cover games, and we have good jobs and we enjoy it and all of that. But but don't play me for a fool and sit here and tell me that because I'm in the media, I'm not qualified to question decisions about not executing on the offensive line and tell me that because you're a general manager in the NFL you know more than I do which is probably true in 99% of the cases but in this one we were right we were right and we were told repeatedly that we were wrong and we were dumb and we were foolish and that we didn't know what we were talking about and just wait and see and we're going to be proven wrong and guess what this team sucks and that's the reason why and I'm just tired of hearing about it yeah, I mean, there's, there's nowhere to hide now. We all see it. And I'll go back to this, and I think, you know, I think Chris is ticked off <laughs> at the way his team has played this season, and I think he's probably snapped a couple times. He did. He wished he wouldn't had. I, I did talk to him after the, the Monday night press conference with Jeff Saturday, and he said all the questions were fair. So for, for taking what it's worth, but I go back to an old Chris Ballard quote, and he said this to me, and he said this to people for years. You guys watch the same games I do. We watch the same stuff that they do. We see the same problems. Um, it doesn't take a football expert to realize what's gone wrong this season. And Zach Kiefer from The Athletic with us. Zach, uh, your latest that you're working on? Anything to look for before Sunday? Yeah, um, not before Sunday, but next week. Um, a really long, a really dark, a really revealing look at former Colt Jeff Harrod who's in a rough place right now. Jake, you remember those teams. I talked to Eric Dickerson about him. Um, one of the best players of the 90s. And honestly, he feels completely forgotten because if you didn't play with Peyton Manning and these guys, man, um, they almost feel like they've been pushed to the side. So for the old-timers, for the old fans that were there for that wonderful run in 1995 and a lot of years around that, there weren't any good um, Jeff Harrod is, is a very interesting guy in a very interesting place, and I've been working on this for a couple of months, so excited for that one to come out next week. 
Yeah, Jeff was a guy that um, at a time when there were not a lot of superstars in Indy, I mean, to your point, you know, Dickerson was kind of on his way out in the early 90s. Jeff Harrod was a solid, reliable player who probably at times played through injury that in today's day he would not have played through and would have been preserved a little bit. He was also, and I mean this in a good way, not a bad way, I do think that he had, if I'm not mistaken, some off-field skeletons that came back to hurt him a little bit, but he was a popular guy around town. I remember in Broderpool, you know, he was he was buddies with um, Broderpool legend Scott Ireland, who sadly just passed, um, and they were good friends, but they were just popular guys. Like, Jeff Harrod was kind of Indianapolis's buddy. Does that make sense, Zach? Like, he was just the guy that... Everybody in town knew him. Like, oh yeah, you know Jeff Harrod, good dude. He was just a, and he was a good player, man. Really good player. Yeah, he was vicious. I mean, middle linebacker. And I asked him to describe his job, and he said my job was to seek and destroy. I mean, that's that's how they played. And, and Jake, you're just you're just tip touching the iceberg right here with the stuff he played through, and and he relayed a lot of that to me. And it was a different era. It was absolutely a different era. I mean, he would. He would slip those ammonium tablets in his pants, in his pants of his jersey, and then every time he got his bell rung, he'd, he'd sniff them. I mean, he said he had between three hundred and four hundred thousand sub concussions, which is defined as anytime the brain crashes against the skull. And the doctors told him those are worse than actual concussions. So it's it's it was a rough story, but credit to Jeff for opening up and it's. I think it's important because these guys fade away. Like you said, he was Indianapolis's buddy, a very, very popular guy when I was a, when I was a kid, um, and he he's kind of just forgotten now. And so that's kind of the story. Zach Kiefer features are always a must read. So looking forward to that one coming out next week. Zach, thanks for the time, man. Thanks, guys. Zach Kiefer, right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Is Jeff Harrod in the Ring of Honor? Uh, Scotty's walking in. Uh, Scotty, the defensive players in the Ring of Honor are just Franny and Mathis. Yes. Okay, I was thinking for some reason he was. So from he that w- if from that era, is it Bill Brooks, Dickerson, and well, Chris Hinton's up, isn't he? Chris Hinton, yeah. Uh, Harbaugh, obviously, right? Yeah, I mean Harbaugh is kind of what tail end of Harrod. Har- don't forget, uh, Kevin. Harbaugh's in the Colts Ring of Honor, but needs Andrew Luck to introduce him to Jim Irsay. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, I think I said what I needed to say on that front. <laughs> but the 12th man is no longer, right? It's, no, it's got to be Colts Nation. 12th man, I believe, belongs to Texas A&M, right? Even or, though Seattle yeah, has I was going to say, was it the right? Seahawks? Seattle paid. Uh, Seattle, Seattle paid, Scotty said. Okay. Should Jeff Harrard be in the Ring of Honor? I think the Ring of Honor in that era probably means a little different than the Ring of Honor maybe now. It's a really good question. Harrod, okay. Eric Dickerson, for example, is in the Ring of Honor, and people say, I hear a lot of people say, like, should he be in the Ring of Honor? He was only here for, you know, three and a half seasons. Dickerson was the first superstar of the Indianapolis Colts. Dickerson legitimized Indianapolis as an NFL city because when dickerson came here they went from a team that most people didn't even realize had like you know they were like the phoenix cardinals i mean it was like what that's st louis's team and then they traded for dickerson and a year later they're on monday night football and they're starting lineups and there's posters with eric dickerson indianapolis colt and it was like holy cow 
there is a superstar that everyone in the country knows about that plays right here, and, and he was the biggest player in the league at that time. So Dickerson's is justified. Harad, to me, Kevin, quite frankly, could be justified in the fact that he, not unlike Tony Saragusa, would be another one I would put in this category, but he bridged the gap between new NFL franchise in Indianapolis and Indianapolis suddenly like the franchise being part of this city because he was out and about he was you know he did radio remotes he he would be out and about he was just a guy he was just a guy and everybody felt literally everybody was like well you know i know jeff harad i mean everyone knew him and so now all of a sudden we were no longer borrowing baltimore's team when jeff harad and tony saragusa were out and about in the community they were a part of indianapolis and suddenly now indianapolis was a part of the colts is the dickerson one odd at all in that you know like if the jags traded for tom brady tomorrow does that mean that tom brady goes into the ring of honor no it's a great question and i would say no because like he was a star elsewhere then came here and and, you know had a couple of nice seasons it's not like he had great he had he was i I believe he led the league in rushing when he was here though he had a 1700 yard season when he was here he had the dynamic game on monday night football he was a superstar still he came here in the zenith of his career as opposed to the end of his career the problem is dickerson um, you know, you had Albert Bentley. There were a, there was a contract issue. I remember there's a famous clip from when I was at Channel Six. I had it where he's walking off the field, and he walks right over to the Channel Six camera and says, "Can you believe they're paying me one million mf dollars a year to carry the ball ten times? Ten times I'm uh, I'm carrying the ball. I mean, he was very unhappy. He was an unhappy. I remember the Sports Illustrated poster that's or cover that said the happy camper." during training camp and then literally within like three weeks Dickerson held out and Rick Venturi eventually suspended him it did not in any way shape or form end well but that is not to take away from the fact that when he arrived here it was a splash that was made of seismic level when he came here Scott Agnes going to join us here in about 15 minutes to talk Pacers pop quiz coming up in a few let's do a morning check in the Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Defense, the name of the game last night in Bloomington. 77-65, the Hoosiers win. Didn't shoot a great from three, nor the foul line. Uh, but just stifled North Carolina on the defensive end of the floor. Not comfortable at all last night. The Tar Heels, Indiana in control, really from start to finish. Here was Mike Woodson afterwards on that effort. This was a total team effort across the board. From a defensive standpoint, we were truly, truly solid uh, from the beginning to the end. And, uh, you know, a lot of things didn't go our way from a foul standpoint. But, you know, it's what it is, man. We played through the, the, the fouls that were called and and was able to bring the game home. Trey Jackson Davis, 21. Xavier Johnson, 20. Jalen hood Shafino, really important stretch to start the game, really set the tone. Uh, Trey Galloway, big minutes off the bench as well. Indiana at Rutgers coming up. Rutgers has won five in a row in that series. That's amazing, isn't it? Uh, Purdue, by the way, 79-69 over Florida State last night. Elsewhere around college basketball in the state, Notre Dame, over Michigan State, 70-52. to That tipped the scales to the ACC for the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Indiana State, kudos to them. They defeated Drake, 75-73. Sycamores now, as Kevin is wearing his Larry Legend baby blue hat. Sycamores now 7-1 and 
Drake, their first loss of the year. They're now 0-1. Indiana State 1-0 within the MoVal. Butler 76-64 over Kansas City. Association last night, Pacers on the short end. Sacramento 137-114 over Indiana. That snaps a three-game losing skid for Sacramento. Harrison Barnes had 22. De'Aaron Fox had 19. Jalen Smith, Benedict Matherin, 22 each for the Pacers. Yeah, probably one of their worst performances of the year. Tyrese Halliburton had a tech. I mean, the Kings were just... The Kings handled that environment much better than the Pacers did. Rick Carlisle tried to call about a thousand timeouts there. I feel like Mark just presses it. Whenever he feels like. Okay. Pretty much. By the way, this is a great text. This sums up um, much more succinctly what I was trying to say about Jeff Harrod. Jake, Jeff Harrod came to my middle school football camp in little old Elwood, Indiana, and worked with a bunch of us punks all day long showing us football. He was nothing but class while doing it. Yeah, I've heard great things about him and just the connection with fans. Tonight, Thursday night football, it's the Patriots and the Bills. That is at Foxborough, the Bills favored by just three and a half. These two teams have not played each other this season. Buffalo right now eight and three. They are a five seed though, with Miami having the early head to head in the AFC East. The Patriots are one spot out of the playoffs at six and five. You look at this week's matchups. We we're talking a little little bit about this earlier. You have six ones. games between teams with winning records. Of note, 49ers, Dolphins, Cincinnati, Kansas City. Eagles and Titans. Cincy, Kansas City's a big one, too. We talked about the Dolphins Niners. That's Cincy, Kansas City. Like, don't look now, but the Bengals are starting to show a little bit, right? And obviously an AFC Championship rematch. Giants Commanders, too. From last season. Yeah, how about the Commanders that nobody talks about, right? Six of seven they've won. Eagles Titans, Uh a good game. A lot of good games this weekend. Uh, Pop quiz coming up next. Again, Scott Agnes in about 10 minutes. 317-239-1070. Jiffy Lube oil change up for grabs. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Have you studied? Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. Something I want to ask Scott Agnes when we have him on in a few minutes is what does he make of the Miles Turner switching agencies here? I think it's something you, you, you see with guys when they're approaching free agency, contract decisions, that sort of stuff. Um, Turner did that the other day, so we'll see if Scott has any insight on that. He joins us in a few minutes. Right now, it is time for the pop quiz. Scotty, yesterday you said very difficult. This one would be about a seven seven out of a ten. Yesterday you called about a nine. I like question one. It's kind of a good one. Man, Cormac Ryan was so hot last night. Big win for the Irish. Rare to see Tom Izzo run off the floor like that. They are dealing with some injuries in South or, uh, East Lansing right now. Notre Dame really needed that one. All right, Jake, you got number one through eight? Uh, we will go with... Uh, what the heck? I'll go with number one. We never go with one. Fast Fingers is who, Mark Dykton? Dan. Dan. What's up, Dan? Dan, you there? Oh, Dan. I'll be damned. My headset's been so in and out, I just figured it was it was me. I was just kind of waiting for we'll go Jake, with number two, Mark. Jake to a- ask his follow-up question. Who do we got? Randy. 
Ah, good old Randy. Randy, what's up? Hello, how are you? Randy, doing swell. Randy, you kind of have a bit of a Santa voice, if if uh, you don't mind me saying that. Well, I am wearing a uh, really bright red shirt, so there you go. Randy, if you had a guess, how much money do you think Santa at the Children's Museum makes per hour? Oh, just guessing. I, I don't know, maybe 50 bucks an hour? No, 14 an hour. 14 an hour. I have no okay. idea. Kevin, what's your guess? I was literally going to say 100 an hour. Really? That's a lot to deal with. Okay. I mean, I don't know. Did you see Bad Santa? Is he pulling in? I don't know. Maybe I just say that because my daughter wants to be as far away from Santa as um, I think Colts defenders were with the By Pittsburgh the way, White House. On uh, kids, if you're listening, there is no payment for Santa the children's museum because uh santa just likes to be everywhere all right here we go uh question number one for you randy iu purdue and notre dame all picked up wins in the big 10 acc challenge last night who was the leading scorer among the three indiana schools in the acc big 10 challenge was it trace jackson davis zach Eady, carmack ryan or xavier johnson guess i'm gonna guess c going with cormac ryan sure oh you're getting hints the rest of the way randy although that's not the right answer uh number two (laughs) jason tatum scored 49 points for the celtics and their win over the heat last night it's the ninth time in the month of november tatum scored 30 or more points in a game only one player in celtics history has scored 30 or more points in more games in a calendar month i am wearing speaking of indiana his hat is it larry bird kevin McHale, paul pierce or kemba walker uh, we will go with Larry Bird. Okay, question number three. Devin Booker scored 51 for the Suns in their win over the Bulls last night. He was 20 of 25 from the field, 5 of 6 from the three-point line. Only three other players in NBA history needed fewer than Booker's 31 combined attempts to score 50 in a game. Who needed the least combined field goal and free throw attempts who played collegiately at the same school as Devin Booker to score 50 points in an NBA game? Is it A, Booker himself, B, Jamal Murray, C, Steph Curry, or D, Dana Barros? How about Jamal Murray? Okay. How about it? Randy, number four, St. Louis University guard Yuri Collins had 20 assists in the Billikens' win over Tennessee State last night. Name the current NBA star who was the last player to have a 20-assist game against an NCAA Division I opponent. A, Tyrese Halliburton, B, Damian Lillard, C, Chris Paul, D, Trey Young. Let's go with uh, Chris Paul. I don't think of this guy as necessarily a pass-first guy. I would would agree with that, right? Uh, Question number five for you. Say that again, Randy. I said Damian Lillard. Okay. Uh, Question five. On this day in 1964, the Houston Major League Baseball franchise changed its name to the Astros from a name that actually was the favorite of Billy D. Williams. What was the Houston Astros' name before they became the Astros? The Colt 45s. Look at that. Randy. Great work there to close it out. Uh, number one, the leading scorer against, uh, among the three Indiana schools in last night's Big Ten ACC Challenge. He said Cormac Ryan with 23. It was Zach Eady with a bucket more than that. Bird, Jamal Murray, Ray Young, Colt 45s, the rest. Scott Agnes will join us next. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Every time I look up. I'm in scramble <laughs> mode. God, I feel like you. <laughs> what? I mean, you get on me because I'm having headset plug-in issues at 6.55 a.m. I know. Kev, I got news hot, for you. Hot it's, kettle black right here. It's a quarter of 10. Are you rubbing off on me? <laughs> okay. That's phrasing, please. <laughs> That's what she said. Our next guest, Scott Agnes, yeah, please Fieldhouse Files, is with us. I believe Scott was in the building last night in Bloomington. Scott, how was the environment down there? I was, yeah. It was really good, guys, especially the crowd. They actually participated in the whiteout, which is really good. It was also one of the uh, most – it was the most recent time I can remember where the students completely filled the balcony, like, unbelievably well. Not a seat, as you can imagine, available, uh, whereas so many times, even in Big Ten play, where there's there's seats available up there. So I thought the crowd, the environment – Everything uh, went pretty well, other than I thought the officiating, which had no real handle on the game. Yeah, I would agree with that. I thought, honestly, I thought Carolina got a pretty favorable road whistle um, to try and keep them in that game, which they needed desperately. Scott, I guess the good yeah. news for the good news for you is not only did you see uh, a good game between Indiana and North Carolina, but that prohibited you from having to watch the Pacers and the Kings <laughs> last night. Um, do we make much of that? I mean, it is. Look, they're coming off a big win against the Lakers, so you can't say too much about it. But that Lakers win perhaps overshadows what happened, the bread on either side of it, the Clippers game, the Kings game. Is this what we should actually expect in terms of the ups and downs, yin and yang of a young team? To be clear, it kept me from watching it live. I came home and watched and watched last night's game, which was a rough one because – yeah, they they were just frantic, never comfortable. They never really settled in. Um, and to your point, Jake, I don't think I think this was on the far end of the bottom spectrum. Remember, we had the front office talk about you're going to see a lot of big wins, some bad losses. This was a bad loss. They were never themselves. I didn't recognize this team out there on that court last night. Just in any anything they tried to get into, they were just rushed. They were uncomfortable. It, it just did not look good. So, no, I, th- I think this is more the bottom tier of what things will look like several times this year. Yeah, you know, we probably should note, if you look at these first three games out west, though, I mean, you've been outplayed in the vast majority of those quarters. I know it's a one-and-two record, but, again, you had to have a pretty wild comeback against the Lakers. So it'll be at the Jazz coming up on Friday for the Pacers. Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files, with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Scott, I think one of your latest is about Miles Turner changing agencies. Um, you often, I don't know if often's the right word, but you certainly see this with guys that are nearing a major contract decision, free agency, etc. What did you make of Turner doing that? Yeah, I, I thought that was one of the key points here is, hey, he's at, he's approaching uh, a pivot point here um, just in terms of his career in general, and he's got to make sure that he's got someone on board that has his support, he has theirs, that they're kind of uh, aligned in their beliefs of maybe his value, of maybe where he could play, of maybe what he should prioritize this upcoming summer when he hits free agency for the first time, and I always find that 
very interesting because it's kind of like uh, you know that sophomore junior kid in, in high school who's getting the recruits and he's feeling all the love for the first time perhaps how do they handle that do they some guys love it and they go home and look at all their letters and you know other guys don't even want to do recruiting visits and have to be dragged out to them and they're not tweeting about it at all so there's just two very different strategies i thought uh, and I haven't had the chance to be clear one, um, to talk with him specifically about it because they have been on the road. Um, but there, I think there was one several events leading up to it with the no- notable number one thing being the fact that his previous agent represented DeAndre Ayton as well. And that, without a doubt, had to be a little bit awkward this summer when he's here on the roster and all of a sudden DeAndre Ayton is here and signing a contract and then two minutes later leaving. But I don't know if he would feel used. I don't know if he would feel devalued. Um, there may be something to that. The other thing is CAA is probably the biggest power in the NBA uh, in terms of agency and how they, they're able to get things done for their clients. So he probably heard a little bit from Tyrese Halliburton, from Chris Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, other guys on the roster and leading into free agency wanted that. Now, specifically in terms of the Pacers, how it affects them directly. I'm not sure it does a ton other than, um, you know, the CAA has some influence. They have power in trying to get deals done, whether that be a trade here at the deadline or what. Um, But he's with one of the better agents in the league, obviously. And the notable thing that I appreciate, too, is the little connections, the little stories. The agent he's specifically with is a graduate of DePaul here locally. Scott, in terms of Miles Turner, I, you know, if you look at other players, I think that, that Pacer fans have kind of this apprehension because you think they got to move him because Paul George, everybody knew, wanted to get to L.A. Victor Oladipo, everybody knew, even though it was circuitous to get there, wanted to end up like down in Miami. In the case of Miles Turner, there is the assumption he wants to be elsewhere, but I've never heard specifically anywhere he would want to be. Do you believe that he is open to staying here? I think he's considering it from what here's what I've what I think from what I've known previously before this new agency entered the picture is like any player he wants to hit free agency he wants to maximize his value and he also wants to win again and I mean postseason wins because he hadn't played in the playoffs the last couple of years because this Pacers team has gone downhill um you know going more towards a reshaping or a fresh culture and everything and a new vibe, which is going well, but I don't see it being a playoff team still. Uh, and then the other thing that a great stat that I always come back to is he's never advanced past the first round. So yeah, he's experienced that first round when he was younger, but there's a lot to you know, reach in the second round, the, the Eastern conference finals, those things, which he certainly has not. Um, in terms of the Pacers, I, I just, I have a hard time seeing it just because of the players they've drafted behind him, the players they prioritize, and are there, are the Pacers going to be willing to pay him a number that he would be comfortable with, which I believe starts with $20 million, could push to about twenty five. Um, I don't believe the Pacers have made an offer, but I, it reminds me of the Victor Oladipo situation. Um, in the in the fall leading into that that previous year before he was traded in that the Pacers knew he didn't want an extension that he wanted to get free to free agency and so there was no really any formal talks or any formal offer made it was just understood 
from a length and money standpoint, can the Pacers offer um, anything more than what other teams around the league can offer him? Yeah, because the Pacers have his bird rights. Should should it get to this point? I just can't see that because if it does reach this point, KB, where we're talking Pacers and and an extension or gets to free agency this summer, then the Pacers messed up um, and made that risk, right, of him being able to select his destination and by not trading him, you might lose him for nothing. But you could sign him to an extension that could – get into talks for example now um um but for the long term what you the pacers advantage is they have his bird rights which allows them to offer a five-year deal whereas any other team could offer him a four-year deal and that's also the value that the pacers would send with him if they did make a trade is that the other team would retain those rights and and have the leg up and giving him a little bit larger deal Gotcha. Okay, Scott Agnes Fieldhouse Files with us. Uh, we only got about a minute or two left, Scott. Any update on Chris Duarte and when we should expect his return? I think he's he's nearing, but whether that's this week or next, um, it's not exactly clear. The good thing is he's doing more on the court. He's on this road trip with the team and around them, but the one of the bigger issues in guys like this coming back from injury is time to practice because there's not a lot of practice time the Pacers just wrapped up a difficult portion of their schedule with three quick games out west with a back-to-back um so I would lean towards more likely next week um but no specific timeline Fieldhouse Files is where you can read him you can read his coverage of the Pacers even when he's at an IU basketball game he's burning the midnight oil with the DVR to keep us abreast of what's going on with the blue and gold Scott appreciate it as always talk soon all right all right, thank you, guys. Uh, it's Scott Agnes on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Interesting stuff there, in particular with Miles Turner. Yeah, the agency aspect to it. Um, you know, I will say this all along, and I'll say it for the next couple of months. When the trade deadline gets here, which I think is mid-February, at that point, if you're the Pacers, you put an extension in front of him. He either signs it or he doesn't. If he signs it, great. If he doesn't, you trade him. Fair. I mean, that's a pretty direct way, but that's probably the easiest way to handle it, right? You cannot afford to. It would be like, in a way, Jake, it would be like you're the... This will sound harsh, but it'd be like you're the max school and you've offered the local kid and you know that down the road all the Big Ten schools are about to offer and you think you can compete with them in recruiting right. and keeping that and guy. And you've got to, at some point, you've got to decide whether to hold on to that scholarship or go ahead sure. and go elsewhere, right? Uh, with Duarte, it'll be a month coming up on Sunday that he has missed. I forgot, you know, he had that 30-point game against Brooklyn. That was the last full-time game he played with that ankle injury. Now, Mark, are you going to be – you're off Monday? Yep. Now, are you going to be here tomorrow, or are you going to be all hopped up on the Sudafed and call in? Well, that'll make for a more entertaining show, I think. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know how much of your nine weeks vacation you're going to burn. Mark's gutting it out. Yeah. Plowing through. Now our vacation rolls over, so look out, world. Really? Yeah. Well, it's well, time to go pick up the reindeer, we'll too. see on you the in circle. August. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's right. We're going to go out and uh, pick up Blitzen, who fell over. Have they Have they fixed it yet? Hang I on. don't think so. No, they got it. He's up. He's back up. That. Do you think they heard our show, they similar did. to Jim Irsay hearing Jeff Saturday a few weeks back and thinking, <laughs> I should hire that man. That's it. That's it. Educate and entertain. We'll do it tomorrow from 7 to 10. Everybody have a great Thursday. A little chilly. Enjoy it. We'll talk to you tomorrow.